For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And because it has such a positive effect uh, psychologically on people, uh, we're going to kick off with uh, a story from the Mirror. It's better late than never for summer. The mercury is set to hit the mid-twenties next week. It's going to hit it in Cork tomorrow. Ireland is set to experience an Indian summer this month with the mercury hitting the mid-twenties next week. Matt Aaron has issued a forecast for unseasonably warm weather with high pressure dominating the country. I mean, it's going to bask in sunshine and have mainly dry conditions for the most of September. Uh, week one from next Monday to Sunday we'll see uh, pressure over the Atlantic off our southwest coast uh, bringing with it settled conditions. That's going to be happening here in the south this week, I think. Uh, this uh, Maybe it is referring to this week. This will see Ireland enjoy, enjoy warmer than average mean air temperatures and below average rainfall. In its national outlook, Med Aaron said temperatures may jump into the mid-20s and stay there consistently. A forecaster said while confidence in week two is lower, uh, there is a slight indication for high pressure to stick around and dominate our weather. So they are th- uh, talking about this week being particularly good and then hopeful for next week. Warmer than average temperatures will continue with a slight signal for below average rainfall as well. So there's increasing uncertainty uh, in the forecast for week three, but let's not uh, get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, Break out the sun cream, start buying the ice cream. Uh, We're going to have, after a terrible summer, let's uh, be fair, we're going to have a kind of an Indian summer as we head into the meteorological autumn. Report dams, cams. The Child Mental Health Service Inadequate, says the front page of uh, the Echo. A recent report on Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, CAMS or CAVS, in uh, Cork exposes totally inadequate mental health support available to children and young people in the region, a Cork TD has said. Sinn Féin TD for North Cork Central. Uh, no, sorry, Cork North Central. Thomas Gould called uh, the, uh, on the government to support Sinn Féin legislation to regulate CAMS. His uh, comments follow the publication of uh, a report by the Mental Health Commission uh, into mental health support in community healthcare organisations, which includes Cork. Also on the Echo, worst August ever for overcrowding. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, the INMO, has recorded the worst August for overcrowding, warning of a difficult and dangerous winter. It comes as Cork University Hospital uh, was recorded as the second most overcrowded hospital in the country after University Hospital Limerick with 984 patients on trolleys during the month of August. UHL recorded a total of 1,885 patients on trolleys during the month. Nationally, more than 9,720 patients were admitted to hospital without a bed in the last month. Uh, Also, in staying with the Echo, finally, uh, for that publication, one person arrested during two rallies near City Library. Also on the front page, Martin Mongan reporting that one person was arrested in Cork City uh, on Saturday as two separate rallies took place. Uh, The people of Cork came out to show support for Cork City Library workers and the Cork Says No to Racism group uh, at a rally on Saturday. A separate rally, Ireland Says No, took place along the Grand Parade, organised by protesters objecting to the availability of what they term pornographic LGBT plus books. One arrest was made during the protest. A spokesman for Angarda Siakana confirmed to the Echo. Guardian Anglesey Street attended the scene of a protest at a premises in Cork City on the afternoon of uh, Saturday, September 2nd, said the uh, spokesperson during the course of the protest. One male, late 20s, was arrested under the Public Order Act and was dealt with accordingly. No further incidents arose 
and the groups dispersed peacefully. That's from the Echo today. Funeral for boy of three and grandparents. Some very sad footage and coverage in the uh, in the papers today, including the pictures. The death of a young boy and his grandparents in a horror crash has left a family shattered and a community numbed. Their funerals heard yesterday. Father Ender Brady spoke as Tom and Bridget Riley and their grandson Tom, just three years of age, were buried following the service at St John the Baptist Church in Cashel in County Tipperary. Also making the Irish Daily Mail, funeral hears that the dead are more than just numbers. A memorial mass was held for the tragic three who died last Thursday. A joint funeral for three members of one family who were killed in a car crash was told that those who die on our roads are more than just numbers. Thomas Riley, 45, his wife Bridget Riley, 46, along with their three-year-old grandson, Tom Riley, were backseat passengers in a car that was involved in a single vehicle collision outside Cashel County Tipperary last Tuesday evening. The boys' parents, Thomas and Diane Riley, both aged 22, uh, were seriously injured in the crash and are being treated in hospital. Uh, Diane, who was able to attend the funeral, wore a black T-shirt with R.I.P. Son and a photograph of him printed on the back. How sad. Gilligan's copycat Veronica Gun Trial, uh, that TV show on Virgin Media starting tonight, three-parter, I think. Uh, gangster John Gilligan will stand trial today in Spain on drugs and weapons charges. The convicted drug dealer has been warned he faces more than eight years in jail if found guilty. The thug's new court date was set earlier this year after the trial was suspended last October. Um, that was following a no-show by his son Darren, who also faces a number of raps. Darren's currently behind bars in Spain after being extradited from Ireland, where he was lifted on a European arrest warrant. And the trial is now due to last three days instead of the single day initially Penciled in, and it will begin just hours before Gilligan appears on TV in the first of a three-part Virgin Media series on his life in crime. Gilligan was prosecuted over the 1996 murder of journalist Veronica Guerin. However, he was acquitted in 2001, and the criminal insists in the TV series he didn't orchestrate Veronica's killing. However, Gilligan admits members of his drug gang murdered her. Check that out on Virgin Media tonight uh, on TV. Big cut sparks energy price war prospects. Finally, some good news for hard-pressed electricity and gas payers. Energy at 20% price drop. Raises hope rivals will follow suit. An energy price war moved closer last night when a main supplier slashed the headline price of electricity and gas. Energy customers will be handed down a 20% price reduction on their bills their first major reduction in over three years. And kind of unlike the insurance industry, you've got to take your hat off and give credit where credit is due. They're looking after existing customers, which I believe the insurance industry hasn't done for years. Uh, If you've ever been subject of increasing uh, car insurance prices and house insurance prices and health insurance prices, uh, it calls you then to see the offers being given. This is uh, with your, your TV service as well, your satellite TV service often. Uh, great offers for new customers, but not really looking after the existing customers. Well, this is a 20% slash across the board and will generate new customers. So insurance industry, take a note, please. It comes ahead of the budget next month when the government's expected to hand down at least one more energy credit worth €200 Euros to every home in the country. Consumer expert Dara Cassidy of Bonkers Dallai, maybe we should talk to them. We did it last year and we had a great response to it and they gave some great advice. Expects the market will force rivals such as Electric Ireland and Bordgash Energy to follow suit and cut their rates. He said this is obviously welcome news and yet another sign of some normality returning to the market. 
It's likely all the other main suppliers will announce similar drops. However, even after today's reduction, energy as prices remain very high and way higher than the EU average. But let's take uh, the blessing of a 20% uh, reduction in prices uh, let's be happy about that at least as maybe the start of a price war which would be good for all consumers. Independent Front Page has urban-rural divide revealed in our most overcrowded classes. School children in parts of rural Ireland were twice as likely to be placed in overcrowded classes at primary level last year compared with pupils attending national schools in Dublin. An analysis of case uh, of class sizes, I beg your pardon, in more than 3,000 primary schools across the country by the Irish Independent reveals wide variations in the proportion of primary school children assigned to classrooms with 30 or more students, showing that 11.4% of children were taught in uh, primary school classes of that size. Uh, The Mail's Front has uh, a new plan to get more out of us living apartment life. The state, apparently, uh, is uh, to become a major player in building homes. Too little too late, you say. €20,000 tax-free plan for rent a room. That's going to be increased. It's proposed anyway that you can make up to twenty grand by renting a room and you can make it tax-free. Bid-to-beat institutional investors uh, is uh, another headline there. But a suite of tax measures to incentivise apartment living are being prepared alongside the state's plan to become a major player in building apartments. Mortgage interest relief on new build apartments and an enhanced rent-a-room scheme to allow up to €20,000 per room to be earned tax-free are among measures being considered. Uh, the state plans to kickstart apartment building in a bid to address concerns over viability of the developments uh, and create a level playing field between institutional investors and owner-occupiers. Uh, uh, Roy Keane also making the front page of the mail. Uh, apparently he was head-butted Uh, in the stadium at an Arsenal match. A golfer was not allowed on a Ryanair flight. A specialised wheelchair was deemed to be too big. Ian St. John tells of his humiliation at being turned away. A disabled golfer has described his humiliation in not being permitted to board a Ryanair flight in Cork after his specialised wheelchair was deemed too big. Ian St. John from Waterford says he's planning to take legal action against Ryanair after being stranded in Cork Airport after he was not allowed on board his 8pm flight to Liverpool on Saturday evening. Uh, I haven't spoken with a single member of Ryanair. All they've offered me is a refund. I'm stranded down in Cork Airport with no way of getting home. He posted a video message from the lounge hours after the flight had departed without him. Calls for security gate on cul-de-sac. We're back at the antisocial behaviour which is plaguing a walkway. And Rose Jones and her daughter on St. Peter's Avenue, Grattan Street, uh, are pictured an area where residents are calling for security gates to be installed following numerous incidents of antisocial behaviour. And we hope to touch on this before the end of the programme as well. Residents of one of the oldest parts of Cork City are calling on the City Council to install security gates on their cul-de-sac due to what they say are ongoing incidents of antisocial behaviour. Let's look at the uh, star today. €9,000 for a barman who was boozing on duty. Campo was granted after ruling of unfair dismissal. The owner of a pub in Limerick City has been ordered to pay €9,000 compensation to a former barman who was accused of drinking on the job. The Workplace Relations Commission ruled that uh, Serlock, which runs the old stand bar on Henry Street, Limerick, had unfairly dismissed uh, barman Kenneth Malone. Uh, You can read all about that, uh, but apparently was drinking on the job. Uh, All of this was reviewed on CCTV. 
but if you want the intricacies of the case, which is too long and detailed to go into here, check out the star. 9K uh, for barman boozing on duty is the headline. Uh, the site is going to be a makeshift home to 750 Ukrainian refugees. What site, I hear you ask? The site of the electric picnic in Stradbelly in County Leash. Last Friday, the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth signed a contract for the use of a site at Stradbelly County Leash. In a statement, the department said the contract is for a six-week period and will have a capacity for 750 tents at the site to be used on a phased contingency basis. The accommodation at the site is for very short-term use and efforts will be made to secure short-term accommodation from the existing departmental portfolio for those who will be placed there. Six weeks is going to be middle of October and uh, no time to be in a tent, I would say. Let's look at the Daily Mail. Over 50% claim to be eating more healthily. More than 50% of people claim they, embracing, uh, they are embracing healthier eating. A new nationwide survey has found. I think you'll find a lot of claims like that in early September when the kids go back to school and we're looking towards Christmas and losing that bit of weight and looking and feeling better uh, that people do make these changes in early September. Why divorce lawyers have been waiting for today? Uh, this is the mail and it's pretty much along the same psychology as I've just mentioned. Summer's over, the long haul to Christmas is looming and it's no wonder that early September sees so many of us reevaluating our lives. That means today is one of the busiest days of the year for divorce lawyers and therapists seeking to help those in troubled relationships. Consultant psychotherapist Suzanne Apps, who is the author of Tell Me the Truth About Love, 13 Tales from Couples Therapy, has said many people wait to seek help, hoping the holiday will sort out the issues. But if you still come back angry, disappointed and alienated, many couples know that it's time to call in the couple therapist or indeed the divorce lawyer. The mail also has friends feel forced to skip hen parties as the cost of a living crisis hits pocket. A third of women have admitted to telling a little white lie to avoid going to a hen party because they can't afford it but don't want to admit it. A new survey by weddings website onefabday.com said although this is said to be another bumper year for weddings, it's taking a financial toll on some guests. In a novel move, 43% mentioned that the, con- uh, the concept of a sten which is a combined stag and hen. Uh, sounded like a great idea. Not sure how it would cost considerably less, though, but hen parties are still a much-loved event. 82% of uh, websites' readers saying they find them very enjoyable and 61% saying they love getting dressed up. Another 48%, just under half, said they most enjoyed getting to know other wedding guests. However, a significant 70% said they found attending a hen party expensive, with 57% spending more than 200 euro on the event. If you're spending 200 euro uh, at the hen party, what are you going to spend by the time you book the hotel, have a few drinks, get the present and uh, attend the wedding? Cork's number one talk show, The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And at uh, 25 minutes past nine, uh, let's uh, have one more story from the papers. I uh, forgot to mention during the paper review that Jimmy Buffett, uh, whose sun-drenched song celebrated life by the shore, died of a rare aggressive skin cancer, according to a statement on his website. He was 76. Uh, he had Merkel cell cancer, uh, according to the statement, which was posted after initial news of his death emerged on Saturday. The statement added that the Margaritaville singer died at his home in Sag Harbor in New York and uh, he had been living with the cancer for four years and uh, great artist, uh, been in his Margaritavilles a couple of times, 
uh, been in the one, I think it was the first one, uh, the one that, uh, yeah, he did open it first. It was in, it's in uh, Key West uh, at the uh, bottom of the Florida Keys. And this was back in 1990 or something. And uh, they, they hadn't become the global conglomerate that they are now. Uh, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, anywhere the sun shines now, you're going to find one. In any of the liner destinations, uh, anywhere you go in the Caribbean, uh, you're always going to find uh, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. And they had their charitable endeavours as well. I did find them a little expensive. Uh, but Jimmy had been living with cancer for four years uh, while continuing to perform, in fairness to him, the last time making a surprise appearance in Rhode Island in early July. Let's uh, pay this little tribute to Jimmy Buffett. Tell you what, let's leave that till the end. We'll play out with it. I actually pushed the wrong button. <laughs> let's pay this shorter tribute to Jimmy Buffett. released in 1977, Jimmy Buffett likely could not have imagined what his song Margaritaville might lead to. The anthem of a beach bum nursing a hangover while pondering a lost love and a lost shaker of salt would soon catapult Buffett to stardom. Off his sixth album, Margaritaville peaked at number eight on Billboard's Hot 100 list and was Buffett's most popular song. It led to a life on the road and more than 40 years of touring. Buffett started out as a country singer and a street performer in New Orleans. He visited the French Quarter back in 2017 with CBS Sunday Morning's Tracy Smith. Do you think there would be a Jimmy Buffett if there wasn't a New Orleans? That's a very interesting question. <laughs> I don't think there ever would have been. I mean, uh, those years being here really were formative years for me. And it made me better professional player so that I thought I could make that leap. I mean, this was like training ground for all of that. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting question because I think no, it probably would not have happened. Over the years, Buffett's live performances, raucous sing-alongs with his legion of rabid fans known as Parrotheads, became more lucrative than his album sales, with concerts reportedly grossing more than a million dollars a night. Buffett used this commercial clout to merchandise his music, opening a chain of Margaritaville resorts and restaurants, and launching a lifestyle brand. According to Forbes, Buffett's net worth was over a billion dollars. In 2018, he launched a Broadway musical featuring his biggest hits, and he continued to perform during the pandemic, playing virtual shows for first responders. This summer, Buffett canceled a number of concerts due to an undisclosed illness and hospitalization. Despite singing about sunny days and good times, Jimmy Buffett acknowledged his own mortality. Yeah. Do you think about that? Lot. You know, there, there's an end coming up there. Working seems to be the magic elixir when you are lucky enough to be an entertainer or do things that you can still do at that age. According to the statement on his website, Buffett lived his life like a song till the very last breath. And he's survived by his second wife, Jane, and his two daughters and sons, Sarah, Savannah, and Cameron. Jimmy Buffett, who passed away at the weekend. In fact, one of my favorite lines in music is from Margaritaville. But there's booze in the blender, and soon it will render. 
that frozen concoction that helps me hang on. Jimmy Buffett. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Monday, September 4th, just turned 9.30. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville show. My sister, uh, Neil Prenderville show. My sister paid with her life and she won't be the last. As a start line from a newspaper article. The family of a young mum of four who died last week after complications with weight loss surgery in Turkey have urged people not to make a similar journey. Shannon Meenan Browse died on August 25th at the age of only 32. She's from Derry and she travelled to a clinic in Turkey last year for gastric sleeve surgery, which involved a large part of her stomach being removed. However, after returning home, Shannon was constantly ill and could not keep down any food or medication. Her hair fell out and her teeth began to rot. Eventually, Shannon, who had four boys between the age of five and 14, was diagnosed with malnutrition and ended up in intensive care. At one stage, medics wanted to take her by air ambulance to King John's Hospital in London, but she was too weak to make the journey. Her condition continued to deteriorate and her family last week took the heartbreaking decision to turn off her life support machine. She died with her loved ones at her bedside. Uh, It was the second tragedy, actually, to hit Sharon's family in a matter of weeks. Her older brother, Brian, died in July. Uh, As they struggled to cope with their loss, Shannon's family have urged people not to travel for similar uh, surgery in Turkey. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mick. Now, you had this surgery two years ago with much different results. You're still with us, you're healthy, you're, you're, you're able, and uh, you feel perfect. Yes, I'm in, in great shape at the moment. Thank but God. you didn't go to Turkey? No, I had my surgery in the Bonds in here in Cork. Okay. Would that be uh, under Dr. Colm O'Boyle? Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you were about 22 stone? Yeah, I probably would have topped out close to 22 stone, yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously loving your food. And yes. Did, did you try? Yeah. They, 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 they often talk about the, uh, the gastric sleeve surgery as the nuclear option. That's the one you try when everything else fails. Uh, so t- tell me about your journey to, to gaining the weight and maybe not being able to lose it. Oh, well, look, I'm a man in early 50. So, uh, you know, being from a sporting background, young age and, you know, married life taking control, you know, weight does gather. You know, and it keeps putting on. I've tried everything from Slimming World to you know exercising regularly, doing it, but it just crept up all the time. Mm-hmm. So I did take the, the option of taking the gastric bypass under Cullum and has changed my life dramatically. Okay, so what did that involve? I, I believe, as well as being physically uh, prepared and do, doing a bit of training and being physically ready for the operation, uh, you know, you've got to lose a bit of weight and got to be a little more healthy. Uh, if you yes. need it, I would imagine, and I'm open for correction here, that there's also a psychological preparation element, is there? There is. There's a six-month program that you must go through, which takes you from psychological issues that you might have had younger in life or whatever the case may be, and you've got to go through your, your physical exercise to get you into that shape. You know, so there is a, an awful lot in it, but that's a six-month program before you have the operation. Okay, uh, and I'm just wondering if, if if you're in the you know the psychological stage and you're exercising and you're losing weight. I wonder, do many people elect, you know, something I'm going to carry on this way and not bother having the surgery? Or are, um, are you committed? I was committed to to the surgery. I wanted it done. You know, um, again, I was very lucky that we have health insurance and I met the criteria to get coverage under the, that insurance. Like that could have been. 
any one of us, I could have decided to go to Turkey, but I was very lucky, the fact that I qualified here for it. Okay, so that's an element of luck, but you had to have the insurance. What would it cost here versus Turkey, for instance, uh, if you didn't have the insurance? Um, I suppose realistically, like what I can remember from it, like if I was to go and pay for it myself without insurance, you could be into the 20, 25, 27,000 euro, you know? That's quite heavy, isn't it? That's, that's, that's it a is. hefty it, it fee. Is. Yeah, do you know, I, I, why anybody can come up with that money is, is tough, do you know? Now, saying that, even with my health insurance, I would have still probably paid in excess between five and 7,000, do you know? So you still have to contribute yourself? You still, yeah, there is, like, your, your initial time when you're seeing the specialists, do you know, to your pre-surgery costs, which, you know, could run up to 4,000 euro, which covers your aftercare, which is which has benefited me unbelievably. It's the aftercare that I think uh, is, is worth every penny. Okay, and I'm not sure what level of uh, aftercare exists in Turkey, but I do, I remember seeing a programme about a girl going there for gastric surgery. Now, it was successful, and she did lose a lot of weight. She had to have uh, skin removal uh, surgery afterwards, all right. Uh, but she kind yeah. of flew home after three or four days. I'm... Yeah, you see, my aftercare initially after surgery, it was three to four days in the bonds, you know, recovery time. And after that, you know, your body is, you're just after a traumatic operation, do you know what I mean? And I, if it was me, I couldn't expect to get on a plane in four days. Yeah, no, may, maybe I'm wrong though. Maybe it was a week or something. But yeah, it, I, I I don't know. I don't know the the situation that people if they go to Turkey and I don't know could they make two weeks afterwards make a holiday out of it? Do you know? But I don't know. Do they fly home straight away? It'll be something I wouldn't have done if it was me. Okay, so you you went through your six months of um, mentally preparing and and getting some way physically prepared, lo- lo- losing a bit of weight. Tell me about the run into the operation then. What happens? Yeah, before the operation, you go on a a diet called LRD. It's the liver-reducing diet where you're you're basically staying away from your carbohydrates. You're eating about 800 calories a day for up to two weeks before the operation. That's designed just to reduce your liver so the operation can be performed, you know, better. Okay. So I don't know... If people are going to Turkey, have they done this? I, I just don't know how it works. You know, I can only cover what I went through here under Cullum. Mm. I, I'm sure there have been many hundreds, if not thousands, of successful operations in this regard in Turkey. And I'm not trying to say uh, that Turkey is not an option, but we're just trying to give information as to cost, yeah. I, uh, I as to aftercare, uh, and, and as to, uh, you know... <laughs> We, we don't have anybody who had a traumatic procedure coming out of Ireland, so we're, we're obviously going to be talking to someone who's happy that the operation was successful. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't, first of all, I wouldn't knock anybody for going to Turkey, you know, because it, financially it, it, it makes sense that way. But unfortunately, you know, and my condolences go to the families that have lost people, you know, but I wouldn't condemn anybody for going there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an answer. You know that, you know, financially they, they've got to go there, and that's that's the way it is. And they want to make their here. life better, and they want to be better of able course, to get around. Of course, you know, it's it, it's a case where that 
that's a decision I could have probably made only I qualified here, you know, under my health insurance. Well, you, you, you kind of said you had your own reasons, your your the family medical history or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the yes, fact that you had um, young children. Um, yeah. Do you think there's too much pressure on people today over how they look? There is. Without a shadow, there is. And it's down to your self-consciousness as well about, you know, how you look, how you feel, you know. And for me, things were just getting too much. My health was breaking down. You know, I was borderline sleep narcia, high blood pressure, you know, things like that. I was only for this operation I could have my life could be it could have turned out totally different for me. Okay. Tell me about the day of the operation. Uh, obviously it's a nervous time now. This is under general anaesthetic. It's a it's a pretty serious intrusion into the body, uh, albeit for the best reasons. Um yeah. how long how long did it take and, and how was your recovery and, and coming out of the yeah. GA? I suppose on the initial day, it was a Tuesday. Um, you would be brought in on a Tuesday morning at 7.30 um, and there might be a number. I couldn't tell you how many people are done on that day. All I know is I was probably the first, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I went, was brought into pre-surgery, went through all tests and bits and pieces and the next thing I knew I was on the operating table and I woke up maybe after the dinner, maybe two o'clock. That's all I can remember of it. And it was just after care from there on, through the nurses and the doctors. Yeah. Were, were how, 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 how painful was it when you woke up? And uh, are you being fed now intravenously? Um, no, you're not being fed intravenously, no. Um, I was heavily medicated, I suppose. I had my own pump. It's like a morphine pump that if I was feeling pain, I could self-medicate. Um, but I must admit, I I was lucky. I wasn't very, very sore or anything. It just took me a while to get used to, like, eating and stuff like that. Do you know? Mm. Like, you're just on liquids. Yeah, starting on so, soups and broths and yeah, things like that. Yeah, You know, a small thing, like, just, like, porridge. You know, watery porridge for a bit. It sounds horrific. <laughs> but at the time, you don't want food. You just don't want it. You know, you just don't have the room for it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just wondering about the psychological effect of of the operation because you you had been conditioned to always appreciate food or look forward to food or always feel hungry or always yeah. want more or never be able to pass a chipper or whatever. Yeah. And and suddenly this reduction in the size of your stomach with the sleeve or whatever is is psychologically removing that, is it? Even to this day, like even now. I want a big plate of food, but I just can't get through it. I just can't get through it. And, you know, that kind of messes with you a small bit. It does take time, and it's after taking me a good bit of time to get used to it now. Do you know, even when I go out, I'm ordering from, you know, a half a dinner, or sometimes, if I like, maybe it's from the kids' menu, I'd eat because me and a big plate, I just will not get through it. I just can't get through it. Does anybody you know? stop you in, in, in the service industry having something off the kids' menu? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of happens, kids. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but if you explain it to them, yeah. um, they, they're, they're understanding enough. Okay. Okay, so tell me then about the uh, gradual, or was it very, very quick, weight loss that followed the successful operation? Yeah, it, weight comes off significantly, yeah, quickly, Um but you do have stages where you have stoppages. Like I could lose eight pounds one week and might be a pound the next week. 
you know, and it, 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 it just slows down and the longer it goes on, the more weight you lose, but it slows down. I'm at the stage now where I think I'm after plateauing, where I probably won't lose any more weight unless I go forward for, we say, the skin reduction surgery, you know. Okay, and how, how bad is the, is the skin looking? Oh, it's not bad. It's not bad, to be honest with you. It's, I suppose, um, to explain it, it's like you're having an apron, you know, your, your tummy like, you know, yeah. just, that's it. You know, and if it's something I decide to do, you know, um, whether or not I want to go through another selective surgery is something I'll deal with and I'll chat to my family about. Yeah, but that, that wouldn't be on the risky scale. Would it be more like more of a liposuction, oh, no. nip and tuck no. surgery, would it? I suppose every operation there's a risk mm. and you have to ascertain whether you're willing to take that risk. You know, I remember day one when I was talking to Colm, I sat down to Colm and he explained, look, nothing is ever as simple as it. we do see bits and pieces that happen. But luckily enough, he, he said, we've never lost anybody. Mm. You know, so it, it builds a bit of confidence when you can talk to the people and that you can judge them, you know, like... It would be like anything. I wouldn't allow somebody to operate on me unless I knew that they were credible, that they were at the top of their game. And to be honest with you, call him there if if he's not the best in the world, he's definitely one of the best in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know at what he does, and he is excellent at explaining things and bringing you through the process. Well, yeah, as that might be, of course, anyone who goes for elective surgery, there, there is a gamble involved. He was properly able to explain that to you. Uh, what, yeah. what the family of that person who died coming back from Turkey, after coming back from Turkey, said, if you're in a position where you're, where you're considering the surgery, you are taking a gamble. And a gambler doesn't always win, they said. So you, you, you need the odds to be, uh, to be laid out in front of you. You need everything on your side. And you must do everything you possibly can do to, to take that risk away. Mm. I was, I was asking mean, a consultant about a particular operation. I won't go into specifics. I said, well, what are the side effects of that operation? Oh, only one, death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah then, and unfortunately, this is after happening in this case. Do you know, and, and probably cases before that. I, again, I don't know what the process in Turkey is like, and I couldn't comment on it, but you know, it could have been something I would have elected to do if I didn't have health insurance here. Okay. You know, it's something like it would have been something that I would have, I would have talked to my wife and my family about okay. before going down this road. And it's it's terrible. It's terrible because when somebody elects to have this operation, it's probably the last thing they want to do. You know, but they they really do want to do it. If you if you get what I'm saying. You know. Okay. Will you will you keep in touch, uh, Mark, uh, as to whether you have the uh, the following surgery, which would be for the skin reduction? And um, yeah, I will. I will. Yeah. Congratulations on the mental application, oh. the physical application for taking, you know, the little gamble. Um, yeah. And and how better do you feel in life? Oh. Uh, Compared to two years ago, 100% better okay. because, as I was saying, it was lethargic. I was thrown there. Where no. I'm off doing what I love doing, walking. I'm back with a team there, Green Celtic there. They're, they're, I'm looking after them. And, you know, it's a case of it's giving me a new lease of life. Fantastic. All right, Mark, I, I want to move into uh, move on to someone who's done it another way. But thank you very much, Mark, for coming on. And listen, uh, thanks for reaching out. You're okay. very good. Thank you very much. So Mark's surgery okay. was done in the bonds by Dr. Colm O'Boyle. 
He was about 22 stone, had the gastric bypass, uh, weight loss has plateaued, he said, but he is in a completely different place, positive uh, and more active and aware and uh, more engaged in sporting activities and I suppose enjoying family life a little more. Edgar Kirby is online too. Edgar, morning to you. Good morning. I know you've been holding for a while. How are you fixed for time? I'm great. Do you know what? I'm just here at the gym with my personal trainer, so we're, so we're just uh, just getting ready to go for a session. Okay, fantastic. Now, you lost 105 pounds, an enormous amount of weight, in six and a half months, and you didn't do it with any sort of gastric surgery. I didn't. I um, I kind of gained a lot of weight when my sister Becky passed away. I would have really turned to food for comfort and um, I kind of got to a point where I said right I need to get a hold on this and I was looking locally then so I found Colin Byrne here in Dungarvan of Target Personal Fiber Training and he just really put me on the right path again you know and I'm a trained dancer and I was always really really fit my whole life but it just goes to show that I can kind of catch up with anybody depending on what's going on in your life you know. So were you kind of comfort eating and, and you've now been trained not to rely on food for that sort of chemical release, if you like? That's absolutely it. And what I often say to people on my TikTok that follow me with weight loss and the recipes is that it's very much about finding the reason as to why you're eating in the first place. You can do any diet in the world, you can do any amount of exercise, but until you sort out what's going on in your head and why you're kind of so incredibly reliant on food as well you're never going to be able to change your issue with the weight you know mm-hmm. so you you did it by sticking to a calorie deficit and uh, obviously by reaching out to a fitness trainer yes so basically every diet that you hear of any any which way it's sold to you it basically all boils down to one thing that you're in a calorie deficit and that your body is just basically not getting just enough energy that you're going to lose weight. And it's very important as well that people are really, really careful with that in terms of how extreme that calorie deficit is because often people do ridiculous amounts of cuts on calories and it's an incredibly unhealthy way, an unsustainable way to do it. But again, with Colin's training, it's been incredible to really get a full grasp on that and understand that full process. Yeah, a a lot of people, of course, are going in for the intermittent fasting model now as well. Was, Was that explained to you or something that attracted you? Um, it wasn't personally, but again, as I say to everybody, there's so many there's so many ways to do things in life, and I suppose as long as it's done in a healthy fashion and that it's not hindering your health or your lifestyle, that's okay. Often, intermittent fasting might be a good way to battle um, the likes of kind of habit, habitual eating, you know, where you're constantly just picking throughout the day. So I suppose there's positives and negatives to, to many ways that you do it. But in terms of my own approach. I like to keep it open to all foods, keep it really, really healthy 95% of the time, have my bit of chocolate, have whatever I want. And by kind of counting the calories, it just allows for that freedom in food. And I think especially from where I came with food and my relationship with food, it was very, very important to me that I didn't restrict because I suppose in terms of binge eating and comfort eating, it's very much about that cycle where you end up kind of binging to feel better then you get a crash after, say, a sugar rush and you're just going back to binge eating again so the cycle repeats itself. It's very much about working on why you're eating that food in the first place and kind of coming up with a healthy long-term plan and a full nutritious diet to battle that too. Okay, and um, I, I suppose what you're saying is if you're ill, if you're sick, you go to a doctor. If you're overweight, 
uh, there are professionals there that can help you as well. And a lot of it is to do with mental attitude, isn't it? Absolutely. And sometimes you just need somebody kind of on your side that knows and understands what, what you need help with. And in terms of finding Colin here in Dungarvan, it was just um, it really about the lifeline for me. And it has completely and totally changed my life and my outlook. When I, when I kind of felt those, I felt there was a time where I was never going to lose weight again. And I was always going to feel that awful in myself, you know, but it just feels like I've had a second lease of life now. And I, th- I think the biggest trap for people, even who start out so well like you did, uh, is maintaining the weight. Because at some stage you'll say, you know something, I'm looking good now. I'm grand. And then all the old <laughs> habits come back again. That's absolutely it. And I was kind of a bit of guilty of that myself. Like you kind of end up, you'd lose one or two stone and you're kind of in that loop of going, oh, look, I look grand now, so I can stop now. But then I, I even spoke with Colin a lot about this was, the actual maintenance of the weight that was something I was really really kind of worried about and um, it's just about trusting yourself enough sticking to the calories I still count my calories now but I've like a really good eye now I don't I'm not I don't have to weigh stuff as much and be that accurate with it you know because I've just become so accustomed to what an actual good portion of things is you know and you're not restricting yourself across meats or pulses or you're staying strictly vegetarian is is there a strict regime for you? Absolutely not. And I suppose anybody that follows me on TikTok will see all of the foods that I create and to kind of inspire others to eat well and eat plentiful and to eat a huge range of foods and not to, again, restrict anything. That was a really, really important thing for me. And I find that with a lot of people that mm-hmm. may have poor relationship, relationships with their food, that it's important that you include what you enjoy. Because at the end of the day, like... We're all living, we all want to enjoy ourselves, we all have events coming up, we have weddings, we have parties. You don't want to be that strict on yourself. Just allow that freedom and just make sure that you're getting good nutritious food 90-95% of the time, you know, and okay. allow a little, a little room for play. Edgar Kirby, uh, owner of Kirby Stage Tool School, easily found on TikTok, I imagine, lost £105 in six and a half months and did it all naturally. I was particularly taken by one of the lines of, uh, of text, uh, Edgar, that you wrote. I was essentially paying the mortgages of the local takeaways <laughs> during the lockdown. Now, all that's changed and we congratulate you. Thanks, Edgar. Good morning to Thanks, you. Thanks, million. Cheers. Don't Bye-bye. You Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Four minutes to 10 o'clock. News is on the way. Our text line is 0868-104-106 and it's been busy. Yep, I knew I would, but I missed some Cork people who played at Electric Picnic. Dylan Brickley played at Electric Picnic, Mick. Bunker Hill and the Mall Goggers from Cove played Electric Picnic. So Cove coming in with uh, two acts that played at Electric Picnic. Probably no other town could... Uh, uh, maybe a city could, but probably no other town could claim that. Make a Young Cove band, Bunker Hill, played Electric Picnic. Uh, and another one, make another group that performed at EP was the shanty group, the Mallgoggers. They raised the roof of the Salty Dog Tent over the weekend. Big shout out to George, John, Donald, Paul and Jerry for a great time. Also, and this is a nice accolade, George is officially the oldest performer at Electric Picnic at 78 years young. Uh, I have a text here on depression. Hi Mick, I don't want to come on air, but I would like to ask your listeners if they can help me please I'm depressed I experienced this years ago but I'm not sure what to do this time when I go to my doctor they try to give me tablets that I really don't want to take 
My husband has been going through cancer treatment and things are finally going his way. However, I still feel really down and drained from everything. Do your listeners have any recommendations for holistic or natural therapies that I could explore that might help me. So cry for help there. Uh, if you can help us, please do get in touch by phone or by text. Electric picnic tent for Ukrainians. Seriously, Mick? 750 tents? This shameful government is not listening. End it now since they never capped immigration. We cannot afford it. We're a small, neutral island nation. This is a totally unacceptable taking in Ukrainians when some, as seen in the examiner, are returning home. Why are more not returning? There's easy money here, and now we're known as a soft touch throughout Europe. 670 are coming per week. Their duty of care is to us first and foremost. I'm furious, says uh, Shiona. Keep the calls and text coming to on bariatric surgery. If it goes wrong in Turkey, uh, would you want the Irish system then to, uh, to sort it out for you, says Mal. And make I've lost six and a half stone eating health and uh, healthily and with Slimming World and I've kept it off for eight years. I just think there's always a risk with any surgeries and the horror stories, however, from Turkey are frightening. News at 10 next. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And continuing on the weight loss topic, good morning to you, Malcolm. Morning, Matt. How are you? Okay, I'm very good, and uh, I'm looking back to 14 weeks ago. You were 21 stone. What are you now? Um, I'm down to about 17, I'd say, at this stage. That's four stone in just over three months. Yeah. What do you put it down to? (laughs) A few people, actually, and obviously myself. First of all, I reached out. I I suffer with Crohn's, Matt. Okay. And... For three years, I was really, really sick with it. Where there was times where I was coming home from work and just sitting on the chair, and I couldn't get off the chair after. And it not only messes with your your body, but it messes with your head as well. So I actually made a phone call to Tony Martin, who is, in my eyes, an absolute legend of a man. Okay, are you on speakerphone, Malcolm? No, I'm not. I'm no. not. Okay, no problem. Just finding it hard to hear you there. Uh, you're talking about Tony Martin, are you? Yeah, Tony Martin, their personal trainer. Okay, yeah, and, and I know that uh, Neil and Tony are good buddies. He keeps Neil in tip-top condition as well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, I know Tony about 35 years, I'd say. And when, you know, you, you I was going through life, I played sport all my life, and I was always reasonably fit. But then when this Crohn's came in, it just, it's it's horrendous. So, for three years, I was on a lot of medication. T- tell us about Crohn's. I know it's very, very important to, even before your weight loss, to mind what you were eating. Um, yeah. Just, just describe Crohn's disease for anyone who, people who may have heard of it but don't know what it does to you. It's, it's, it's a digestive problem that you have and certain foods will trigger, or certain drink will trigger an episode of it where I couldn't actually go outside, the physically go outside the front door because I'd have to be near the toilet. At, at my worst, I was probably going to the toilet maybe 30 times a day. 30 times a day. Yeah. Yeah. And what it basically did is it just, you just, it zaps the energy out here. You have zero energy, zero, you know, you can't physically do anything. It just drains the life out here. So did you then get a diet that was targeted not just towards losing weight, but towards assisting with the Crohn's disease problems? Not through the hospital. And how, how this came about is I rang Tony and I said, Tony, I'm in trouble. And he said, what's wrong with you? told him the story, calling to meet me. I went into the office inside and I sat down with Tony and Tony explained everything to me. And then he said, I'll give you the tools, it's up to you to do it. So, 
I started it. It took me a couple of weeks to get going on, mind you, because, like, basically what he did is, it's a keto diet, where I'm on all, all um, uh, we say steak, chicken, fish, turkey, where there's no carbs involved in this at all. It's, it can be fairly severe, but if you want to see the, the, you know, the results from it, in 14 weeks, all I can say to you, it's like night and day for me. I have my imagery back. I'm in a gym. Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Sunday. Sometimes I'm doing two classes a day, depending on the time I start to work. But it's just like night and day. My clothes feel a lot better. Um, Headspace-wise, I feel fantastic. And I have to say, Tony is one of the most inspirational men I ever met in my life. And I was able to reach out to him and tell him exactly what was going on. He helped, he helped me start it. Tony Martin, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Mick. Morning, uh, Malcolm. Hello. To- Hi, Tony. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, fine. You're like yourself now, great. Absolutely brilliant, Tony. Look, I, this is really just my way of saying thank you for what the way you've helped me. Ah, come here, Malcolm. Week. We're too long at it now. We're looking after each other. That's it. Life is short. Tony, what you've done for Malcolm, you've done for hundreds, if not thousands, of others. Um, yeah, I mean, as as that whole, I, do, I don't want to hijack what Malcolm is saying, you know, because like his perspective is very important for people who suffer. Uh, like it, it, it is debilitating. It, it's it's an incredibly like horrible disease. People don't understand it, but when you're a slave to you know having to be around the toilet for so long and 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 then you know not not really getting much help from 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 anything, including meds, because they're not they're not dealing with the problem they're dealing with the symptoms and and it, it's very very hard and with all due respect to, to the um, the medical practitioner it, it's very hard for them to see a person on a daily basis and manage them because they've got they've just got so many people suffering from it so they, they'll treat you they'll give you the meds like like Malcolm and, and come back in a couple of months and, and do a retrospective look and see how you did so like it, it, it's not really very very helpful unless you can have access on a day-to-day basis and um unfortunately that's the same for most people out there it, it's very very hard to get that direct help to you, you know because it's such an insidious disease it's such an insidious thing to happen tony as long as i've known you you're doing this um that must be into decade number four is it it is no stop giving my age away i don't like that <laughs> yes we're a long time at it we're all, we're all the same. I'm into decade number four doing this crack as well. Um, yeah, but you must have a very difficult time doing the personal consultations because certain home truths have to be put across there. Plus the fact that there's no magic bullet. Uh, and you can answer all these together. You must also have the most job satisfaction of anyone uh, when, when you hear uh, commendations like that from people like Malcolm, whom, whom you've helped and who are in a much better space physically and mentally. Well, I, I think the longer you're at this, the better you become at, at telling your story. And it's just about refining it so that people walk away with hope, with hope because they understand what you're telling them to do. Now, I, I hearken back to what Hippocrates said, like the father of modern medicine said, or one of his quotes, we don't know whether he said it or not, but one of the quotes attributed to him is, before you heal someone, ask him if he's willing to give up the things that make him sick. Now, unfortunately, the way modern medicine goes and modern life, and I forget medicine, I didn't mean to put medicine into this category, but modern life is all advertising, all food, all treats, all beautiful things. And the downside of that is that our bodies are struggling to cope with what we're putting in. They cope, but they're struggling. 
And in Malcolm's case in particular, his ability to digest his food and extract what his body needed from his food was gone due to what Crohn's is. It's, it's a chronic inflammation of, of the gut and the complete shutdown in the ability to extract what your body needs from the food and it just flies through you. So every single aspect of your physicality, your mentality, it's all affected by this. And you end up getting into a very, very low place and sitting on the toilet every minute and it, it's a spiral down into a pit of despair. And um, like, that's the horrible aspect of that that people suffer from. And the other aspect of it is it, it doesn't take much to turn it around and, and start getting you going in the right direction. Yeah, that was to be my I, next question to Malcolm, actually. How fast did uh, better things take shape or take hold? Was it in the first week, first two weeks? Within, within the first two weeks, Mick, to be honest with you, because your body's adjusting today. We said your new, your new diet as such. Your body's adjusting. Like, I'll give you an example now. In the 14 weeks since I started this, I was on a certain amount of medication. I'm down to a third of that medication now at the moment. So there's two thirds of that medication gone. Now, what I've also done in between all of this, and like, I've run everything by Tony. I go to Tony every Tuesday for a week. And I'm going to be honest with you, you know, Tony will laugh here. There's only two men I ever listened to in my life as a, ma- as a grown man myself. My father was one of them, Tony Bert is the other. That's the respect that I have for that man. No, that's a very nice thing to say. Back in rushing here, lad. I can only go down from here. <laughs> <laughs> but basically what I did was, Tony's drive behind this is, just go and do it. You don't do it. You come into me and I will eat you if you don't do it. That's the way I look at it. So... Yeah. Uh, you're, you're obviously reducing your meds on, you know, on doctor's advice as well. Yes, 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 100%. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, Tony, there, there's no such thing as a magic bullet. Uh, I mean, no, on, 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 bullet and, unless and you're you invested good... in, in, in your own, there's an old saying in life and in business, if you're drowning in the river, uh, if you're not an active participant in your own rescue, you'll drag down those trying to rescue you. It's yes, pretty much yes, the same yes, here. Yes. You must be actively engaged in your own recovery, if you like. Of yes, course. and you must, and you must yeah. always keep your primary care as your doctors in the loop. You, do, you don't do anything mad and you don't do anything silly or yes. you, you, you have to keep these primary cares because, you know, they've got the best outcomes for you at heart as well. You have to let them know what yeah. you're doing. They can monitor the meds. You work hand in glove with everybody as a part to play in this. Nobody is saying, oh, that's the only thing to do. If anybody try to beat you to do one thing without you understanding it then walk away from that but and, 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 any doctor is, is going to say to to Malcolm if he walks in and he had been 21 stone I don't care what you're doing but keep doing it you're 17 stone now yeah yeah but I mean doctors like with all due respect as I said they, they see it for a few minutes they've got thousands and thousands and thousands of, of patients it's very very difficult for them and they put you off and you go into the specialist area the specialist arena you, you, you get the the diet, and, and then you're given meds that treat the symptoms, and what they do is they, they, they alleviate symptoms, and they, they don't look at the root cause of, say, well, I call them an elimination diet. You start with a very, very basic food, and see how your body reacts to it, get the inflammation to settle down, and then add foods in after that, and see what you can accommodate, and normally you find trigger foods, foods that cause or are causative or are involved in setting off the process again and you avoid them and after that then and I was coming around to it like one of Malcolm's massively strong points is sports all his life and, and hugely disciplined so once Malcolm got the bit between his teeth saw the light saw the benefit felt good like there was no stopping him I mean Malcolm then goes to broke it's a compounding so effect the after that yeah. 
Yeah, but like it, it, it feeds itself, but it's only as good as the effort that you make and, and, and what you put into it. And, and Malcolm is 100% into this. If you wasn't, you know, Malcolm knows me, I know Malcolm, like we, we work compatibly in that front. Like th- th- there is no benefit to anybody. It's time wasting for everybody and that, that's not going to work. Yeah, Tony, I've, I've, com- I've come across people who've had significant weight loss through a series of injections. I'm, I'm aware of the brand name, but I don't want to mention it in case I misrepresent them. But you basically give yourself these injections once a day. Uh, they reduce your cravings for food. In fact, turn you off food. Uh, and, and those first difficult three or four stone are reportedly easier to get rid of. Uh, you, you would probably well, I, I, advocate I, I, if, if I, that works, you need I, exercise anyway. Well, well if, if you keep your diet high and induce ketosis, which like every diet induces ketosis, like the misnomer to call something a keto diet, if you do that, your appetite is gone anyway. Uh, like Malcolm will, will, will be a testament to this, like no appetite. It, it, like eating, staying off carbs has the exact same effect, but it's the discipline of staying off carbs. You've got to be invested in what you do. The issue with these meds is that the minute you come off them, you're instantly back on with the weight and you're instantly eating again. It's just you, you haven't developed thinking in yourself with an investment in your diet that allows you to do these things. So like that's called the recidivistic effect of coming off the, the, these particular drugs and it, it's pretty high. All the reports are instant weight back on, instant. Okay, um, some texts uh, into our text line if you want to text in, so it's 6814106. What about people that can't afford personal trainers, says Mary? Uh, well, it's not so much the personal training, really. It's it, 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 it's a good dietary structure. Like, learn as much as you can about diet. Training is only an adjunct with it. It's all diet. It's, everything is diet. Everything is the food that you put in. Malcolm's compounding his effect with, with his ability now to exercise. Malcolm couldn't get off the seat, couldn't run away from the toilet, you know, and now he's out there doing what he loves to do. I mean, if you don't know Malcolm, I mean, Malcolm is the most incredible, one of the most incredible physiques you'd ever see from an athletic point of view. Man, Matt, he's a legend. He's got incredible physique. He can take incredible amounts of exercise. And now he's chomping at the bit, doing all the things that he was stopped doing for the last couple of years. And he, he just, as I said, amplifying the effect of a good diet with a good exercise program, getting in better and better and better shape every week. Jump in there, Malcolm. Yep. Yeah, when I started this, as I said, 14 weeks ago, I genuinely, physically could not move. Like, I got, I got plantifladiators on my feet, on both feet. I'm presuming it was down, down to the amount of medication I was taking. So I'd get out of bed in the mornings and I was 10, 15 minutes having to stretch all the muscles in my legs to actually walk out of the bed. It got that bad. So when I went and spoke to Tony, Tony explained everything from start to finish. So basically what I did is that I went in and met Tony. Tony gave me the tools. Now, I have a twin sister who's a personal trainer herself. So she owns her own gym, Mindset Fitness up in St. Vincent. So I, I physically couldn't train with her because we'd probably end up fighting with each other. So <laughs> I said that this is a no-no. So my brother-in-law, who unfortunately got his knee replaced there only 14 weeks ago, 15 weeks ago, actually, he came with me to the gym to build up his own recovery. He trained me, helped, helped, helped train me for the last 14 weeks. I would be absolutely lost without Tony, and I'd be absolutely lost without Fogs O'Brien. These guys, honestly, have changed my life for the better 
and I'm only hoping that somewhere along the line that I'll be able to return the favour to somebody else down the line. Yeah, Malcolm, you're, 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 you're appealing to and inspiring probably a lot more of a cohort of people listening than have Crohn's disease, but you did come on uh, just to really tell people with Crohn's disease that there is a way. A hundred percent. I understand what that lady said. They're going to go with the text of people not being able to afford it. There is ways around it. There is ways around it. First of all, it comes from yourself that you have to have determination to make yourself feel that bit better. Sometimes you need a little push, and I got that from Tony, and I got that from Fergus. Okay, so what, I, what, I, I know you've always had the, the, the gym practice, Tony. What, what exactly is Tony Martin's... Is it Tony Martin weight loss? Is it Tony Martin fitness? What exactly do you do now? Um, well, we, we've developed an app actually, Limbo. It, um, it's weight loss through uh, blood glucose regulation. So it's all the science that I've been working on the last 40 years on an app. So that's the project at the minute. I don't do a whole lot because I don't have the time. Um, I don't do a whole lot of the, um, the, the personal training thing. Um, it's not a, I've never been, I haven't been open to the public for years, but um, it's just I, a lot of consultation on this type of stuff, giving people explainers, a little bit of directionality. Um, working out programs, um, you know how, how to integrate your 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 cardio work, your strength work, your diet, sleep, lifestyle. So it's just like all aspects of well-being, really, um, um, and all through the app, um, and, and and that's that's what we're working on, and that's what the big drive is to get to as many people as we can with with that sure. process. Sure, I have to ask you, Tony, because people are asking me uh, what sort of costs are involved. Well, if you go online, you see all costings with the limbo. Um, that, that that's kind of more or less separate to me. But um, my own stuff that I do, um, I, I, I'm 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 offline on that. Um, I don't do a whole lot of it anymore. So, like, if anybody's interested in just weight loss in general, um, it'll be it, you can access it through that. So that's kind of more or less where that's at, Mick. Okay, I have, I have a text here which I must uh, re- read out to you and we'll, we'll finish it up here, but I think Malcolm will agree. Uh, Hi guys, listening to Malcolm's story this morning and I feel compelled to text. Tony Martin helped our entire family and I'll never forget him for it. He travelled to our house at 6am in the morning and ran with us every morning to get us up and out of our, uh, out of our beds. He helped my sister on the lead up to her wedding my mother when she was struggling massively with her weight, my brothers in their rugby careers, and myself when I was struggling with my mental and physical health. They don't make them like Tony Martin anymore, an incredible human being, but well done to Malcolm. I'm sure you know who that is. They're, they're obviously keeping them, their, their name I, secret. I, I do, and I, I appreciate those sentiments. Um, I really do. Thank you. That's that right. making me feel good, along with Malcolm's. So, uh, it's great to hear. Thanks very fe- much. It's a feel-good Monday. Well done to you, Malcolm. Continued success. And uh, well done, Tony Martin, for all you continue to do. Malcolm, continue, no lad. i see you later. Yeah, you won't see me tomorrow, but you'll see me next week. I know, yeah. All right, talk to you soon. Good luck. See you guys. Thanks for everything. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, guys. Morning. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Now, just before our next caller, a quick mention. There have been reports of either a lorry shedding its load or an overturned tractor, possibly, uh, by Duns in Ballyvalan, travelling towards Mayfield. 
Uh, so caution on that area. That's a very, very busy crossroad service stations there and uh, petrol filling stations, I mean. And, uh, and of course, the very busy Duns and Ballyvalan. So caution in the area, please. If you're at that North Ring Road crossroads at the Ballyvalan Cross, uh, one caller has said it's a lorry shedding its load. Another has said it's an overturned tractor. Uh, but there does seem to be uh, danger and delays there. So please exercise caution in that area. Now, I don't know if I'm talking to one or two people here. Am I talking to Lorna or am I talking to Lorzy Lovey? Morning. You're talking to Lorna now this morning, Mick. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Lorzy Lovey is your uh, is is your alter ego, shall we say. My alter ego, yeah. I have multiple personalities over there. God help us. <laughs> now, not many people come on the radio and admit to stalking people online, but you're going to do that in a nice way. And we'll get to that I in am. a moment. But what you, what you really want to say is that is that weight does not define you. If you're happy in your own skin, 100%, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Like, I remember I, I've always kind of been overweight. I've always struggled with my weight. Um, now, when I was younger, they used to call me chicken legs because I was so skinny, but then I moved out and I moved to Dublin when I was 18 and then, you know, it started because, God help us, I, I wasn't with my mammy. I couldn't cook any food. I couldn't wash any clothes. So I was living off takeaways and things like that. And um, I suppose from then, I've always kind of struggled with my weight. Um, I've done all the diets, the soup diets, all these crazy things that you'll be doing, drinking cabbage soup and you're going to all the different clubs, you know, Weight Watchers, Slimming World, you know, I've done them all. Um, and to be honest with you, I actually had an appointment with St. Vincent for bariatric surgery in June of this year. And that was my last resort. And that when I was like going, oh God. Um, and I cancelled it because I kind of went very lightly and friendly stalking now on TikTok. And that's to a guy that we've already spoken to on the air this morning. And uh... Edgar, yeah. And I remember I was like, I'm terrible for when you're going into bed and you're scrolling through social media. And I was scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And his video just popped up. And he's so funny as well. And I looked into his page and I saw the weight loss. And then I did a pure deep dive then. like, And I found out who he was going to. And it was only up the road from me there in Dungarvan, up to Colin in Target Private Training. So I sent a message to Colin. And I think that's the first... It, it, I get a feeling of you're mortified but I sent the message and I went up to him and you know I've been going there now for just over three months now and I feel way better ten times better So if, if weight doesn't define you once you're happy in your own skin I would imagine that you are fairly well insulated against what others think about you or, or I, think about I how am. you look yeah, but that's the thing, I was fairly well insulated. That was the problem, you see. <laughs> I meant mentally, not physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, no. I, like, I'm at the age. I tell you, I turned 40 this year, and I don't know, am I after having some kind of a bloody awakening or something or what? But I always kind of, when I was younger, I suppose I, I did care what other people think. You know, I think that's just um, a younger thing. But now this year I turned 40, like, I'm happy in my own skin. I don't care what anyone else thinks of me. You're never going to be everyone's cup of tea anyway. Do you know what I mean? So there's, someone will always have something to say about you. But when it starts, it started affecting me where I found myself um, I in the last, like, I suppose, probably since the pandemic, if I'm being honest. Like, I think that bloody pandemic did an awful lot of damage to us all, you know. Um, so I suppose I wasn't eating well. I wasn't going out for walks. I just, and I put on the weight, but I didn't realise that I was putting on the weight. Do you know what I mean? I was the heaviest that I'd ever been and I felt awful. I, I, I started falling apart. I got carpal tunnel in the wrist. My knees were coming at me even walking up the stairs. I found myself getting out of breath when I was walking and I was saying, do you know what, Lorna, you're too young now for all this. 
Uh, what, do you think people like Colin and, and uh, Tony that, that we've just spoken to uh, actually identify what kind of eater you are? Are you an emotional or a stress eater? Are you a oh, binge yeah. eater? Uh, are you, if you're lethargic, going to go for the fridge rather than uh, go for a walk? Yeah, tick, 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 all of the above, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be, but I'm definitely an emotional eater. Um, and I go for all the wrong things then. Like, I could I go to the shop and I'd buy like a share bag of Doritos instead of a normal size of, of crisps. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, all, it's all the wrong foods I was eating. Um, but I find with Colin as well, it's like I've done all these other weight loss things and you're in a queue full of women waiting to go up to the scale so that adds to the bloody anxiety anyway um, and then when you are up like one of the very first videos I made was a Slimming World video and that was genuinely true I went off on holidays and I came back and I put up 8 pounds and it was just so funny the way the girl she waved me and she went oh my god you're up 8 pounds and I was disgraced and they could all hear me in the queue behind like, and then she started going but did you enjoy yourself? You have to enjoy yourself, don't you? You do, and that made it worse. Made it so worse. Like, oh my god! <laughs> but, but I said, look, this works for me. What I'm doing now with Colin because it's private. You go in, it's one on one, um, and he's more as well about kind of educating you about things as well. You know, you'd be very conscious of now even your protein, your fibre. Whereas I wouldn't had have had a clue about that before. I would have been just focusing on the scales. You know, every week I wanted to be down weight. But, like, you know, you have to realise that every week you're not going to be doing weight. You have to be realistic about it as well. That there's going to, You have to live a life as well. There's going to be weeks where you are going to be going out and, you know, you could be up. And, but it's just, I look at it as a, um, it, it's, it's a long-term goal thing now for me. It's not, it's not um, I'm not trying to lose weight now because I have a wedding in September or anything like that. This is more a lifestyle change now for me. And even... I feel all the better for it. Yeah, you're watching the weight gradually week. coming off, but you are yeah. you are down in 13 weeks, two stone and three pounds. Yeah, well, three point six, like let's not. Uh, <laughs> okay. We are, yeah. Two stone, three point six. Yeah, 6. I am. Yeah, and I feel, I feel, I definitely have way more energy and everything. But as I, as I said, like I had gone to the stage where I felt kind of so low before going to Colin that I had an appointment made in St Vincent's. I was using the the only uh, healthcare, you know. I thought I better. I'm paying it. I can use it. But, um, and I was going to, I was seriously thinking of going for the gastric band as well. And this is coming from the one now who has palpitations even, you know, get, getting a needle. So I don't know where, where I thought I was going. But um, yeah, and that was the last resort for me. That was something that I, I wouldn't put myself through a surgery lightly like. But um, I had thought about it, to be honest. But the main message here really is there are people like Colin and Target. There are. There are people like yeah. Tony Martin. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Malcolm, Malcolm and Target, is it? Um, I'm, I'm Colin, getting the, Colin Target, it's Colin yeah. and Target, yeah. Colin, uh, yeah. And there, there are people um, like Tony Martin, and, you know, they come at various levels of expense, but, you know, you're spending it on food and bad habits anyway. Well, why, why, why not invest in your own future? And, yeah, yeah. And, and the whole thing about turning up and making the mental application to make the appointment to get there and to say, look, I need help, or I've got a problem, or can you help me? Um, that's yeah. that goes a long way towards stealing your resolve to go and do something positive. It does, and I think as well. I don't know. We well, uh, personally, I can't speak for every woman, but personally, I had this thing of the fear of going. If you know you kind of made a mistake during the week, and the fear of going and going up in the scales. But there's like none of that with Colin, like because he said all this from the start. Like it's not linear. You're not going to be constantly downweight all the time. So be realistic about it. There's so many factors that can affect your weight every week, you know, water retention, time of the month, anything like that. But once once you get your head around, okay, it's all right not to be down weight all the time and everything. 
and look at it as a long-term goal. Like, I'm not looking at it really on how much weight on the scales I'm losing. Every week, I'm noticing, like, these non-scale victories. Like, I feel better. I'm getting up earlier in the morning. My sleep is improved. Yeah, you're, so, but you're building up muscle mass as well, and you're building up yeah. endurance. Yeah. And as well, like, I, you can fit into clothes as well, like, much better. So that, that's a non-scale victory as well. One, one, but, um, one particularly disturbing side effect for you, though, uh, is, is you're talking to cows. I, listen, come here, I know. I know. I'm not the full shebang. That's, we, we'll say that as it is. I do. I go out on my walks there and uh, sure, I can't go 40 minutes without talking to someone. Like, so there, there's, there's a herd of cattle there. We'll have the old chats with and the what, girls. What I do you say to the cows? What do you say to They're them? Just, I don't know. I wouldn't be having a full-blown conversation. Just a quick, like, hello, Mary. How are things? How are you getting on? And they feature <laughs> on the Instagram and all. <laughs> You've all na- given I'm names and everything, have you? Um, there's a couple of I've got this with one of them um, I could Mary, Joan Noreen, Jacinta <laughs> You're, 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 you're a gas woman I, I think you, you have to, you have to be slightly gas I won't say mad I'd say gas you have to be slightly gas to take it's on these programmes anyway crack. because you have to be yeah. honest with yourself and you have to talk yourself through these programmes Yeah yeah you do definitely definitely you do and um, I think as I said, like I've, I've absolutely, I'd have no issue with anyone that's that's going for surgery. You know, each to their own and whatever plan you're following, you have to do whatever suits you. But as a last last resort, it was me going looking into this um, bariatric surgery, and I would I would have died. Like honest to God, like I I, I hate even going to my GP. So that, that was a last resort for me. And I always think that when I came across Edgar. I don't know, was I meant to come across that video or what? Because I feel completely different. Now, back in May, I was kind of almost at a, at a, at a rock bottom. I felt awful about myself. I didn't feel good at all. And now, like a couple of months later, I feel completely different. So, I bet, Gert, thanks for that. Thanks for that. He's unreal. And so is Colin. Well, well, well done. And it's Edgar Kirby again, if you want to look him up on TikTok. Now, he did say that he was uh, a fully trained dancer. So, these, uh, these TikTok videos are a bit of fun, are they? Um, there, yeah. No, listen, I wouldn't be fully trained down for myself, but I'd be limber out, like, you know, after losing the two stones, so <laughs> I'd give it yeah. a bash me to <laughs> and, and well done to Colin at Target Private Training and to Edgar Kirby for, for, for getting that inspiration out there. So th- yeah. thanks a million, Lorna. No bothers me. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's uh, Lorna, a.k.a. Lorzy Lovey. Uh, in 13 weeks, she's down two stone and three pounds. Some texts on the uh, weight loss topic. Sorry, I can't come on air. I'm going swimming, actually. The weight loss injections are impossible to get here. No chemist has them, though you can pick them up in Spain. Another text says, Colm O'Boyle is the best. He's a skilled surgeon. And the follow-up is immense. His secretary also does brilliant work. Hi, I'm 21 stone, four pounds, and I still think I look slim, but I prefer to be looking at it than looking for it. Uh, And here's a serious text. Uh, I thought I had Crohn's disease. In May of last year, I was touching 22 stone. By October, I was 15 stone. It wasn't Crohn's. It was stage four colon cancer. Make sure you get checked for that, says Pat. Thanks for the text, Pat. Uh, A response to the uh, request for help on depression. Hello, apologies, I cannot come on air. Well done to all your callers on their weight loss. Absolutely fantastic. We truly are what we eat. And just on the lady who's depressed and cannot come on air, the doctor will, of course, offer her antidepressants. And they give them out too easily, in my opinion. She would benefit so more, uh, so much more from a healthy diet and lifestyle. Exercise will boost her serotonin and other feel-good neurotransmitters. Why not get this lady in touch with Tony that you have on the radio? She's obviously trying to deal with so much supporting her husband and his cancer care. 
The stress must be phenomenal for her. She will be in a constant state of sympathetic, sympathetic function. And best wishes. Not a bad idea. Dog off the leash. I was at the beach yesterday. There was a dog running around. My child was so scared because the, uh, the dog was coming at her. The owner of the dog wouldn't do anything. We had to get up and go home. Leave the beach and uh, go home. Hi, Mick. Kean de Crow played the picnic and he's a Cork lad. Yes, he's from Passage West, isn't he? Uh, didn't know Kean played there. I wasn't. Uh, I'm not across the electric picnic. It's not a, a festival I've attended. Uh, my heyday would have been in the Fela days. Um, and I'm trying to balance the, uh, you know, the fun with the discomfort and the mud and the tents and all that kind of thing. Uh, so I tend not to go to these uh, festival gatherings. Uh, and so I'm not across the the musical thing. What I was just trying to say is uh, Cork is punching well above its weight when it comes to acts playing at the Electric Picnic. If you had the Mallgoggers and uh, we had that other band from Cove, we had the, uh, of course, Brenda Dennehy. Uh, and Julie Haynes and their successful podcast left on red. We had the uh, White Horse um, Guitar Club and and Kean de Crow. And there's uh, Cork's very very well represented this year at Electric Picnic. It is coming up on 17 minutes to 11. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Well, I've got a batch of texts to get through now. 0868-104-106, as you'll have just heard there. And I'm always mindful that when people take the trouble to text the programme, uh, that we should do our very best, uh, if we can't do it on the day or the following day, to get around to them uh, at some stage. Because it's, it's unlike the social media posts where... You know, you can comment and hundreds or thousands of people can see it and you feel there's some validation uh, and that your comment's been seen. But a lot of the texts, if they're not read out, um, I won't say they're wasted effort because they are appreciated. Um, but what's the point in texting in if it's not going to be read out? So we try and get to, or at least I do, uh, even if late, try to get to uh, some of the texts or all of them if possible. Uh, that you've taken the, uh, the trouble to text into us. What's wrong with this country we live in? I've been uh, trying to call the Intreo Centre for Social Welfare since yesterday. The longest I was on hold for was 48 minutes. I rang a few times. Uh, then I went into the Dole office in Hanover Street to be turned away. I'm not Ukrainian, I'm Irish, and apparently they're only dealing with people from the Ukraine. All I'm looking for is an address to post a letter to. I went over to Abbey Courthouse. There were more than 20 people there. I had to take a ticket and sit down to find out where I'm meant to post my letter because the internet application form doesn't tell me. Uh, totally disgusted. What a country we live in. On cost of living, only a Fianna Fáil minister would have the neck to increase prices during a cost of living crisis. At least the increases will be the final nail in the coffin of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, said Pat. I wouldn't think it's a Fianna Fáil minister that is doing that. Wouldn't that be the minister for public expenditure? No, you're right. It probably is the minister for finance who's... Uh, uh, desk is where the book stops. Um, but as we mentioned last week, these uh, were gifted back to us, the reductions in VAT, uh, and it was always flagged that they were going to come back at some stage. They are already, though, having an effect at the pumps. I've zero pity on people giving out about the price of fuels, as another texture, for the following reason. Kids are walking to school holding bottles of water costing well over the price of a litre of fuel. Government know we are fools for allowing this to have happened in society. Not much more to say on the matter other than people are asleep and need to wake up. Uh, I was speaking to Colin Burke on the programme uh, on uh, Friday, I think. Uh, ask him as if there is an increase in people. Why isn't there an increase in services for those people? For example, why are they shutting down fire stations? 
And why are they not increasing schools, hospitals and so on? They're only feathering their own nests, as usual. A joke of a government, says this texture. Ask them the hard questions, Mick. There are people suffering, businesses closing, VAT and fuel rates going up. What are they going to do about it? That government needs to go and a new lot brought in. I think it should be women running the country, says uh, Garoid in Middleton. Ask Colin Burke why the energy companies are getting a free ride. Uh, hi, get that yes man Burke off the radio. He quotes the rules when it suits him. Ireland's government breaks plenty of rules when it suits, um, says Paul. Uh, Mick, stop praising penny dinners and ask the hard questions. Okay. Uh, get them off the air. People are, are leaving because they can't afford to live here and there's no housing for them. Uh, can I ask Colin Burke, uh, are they going to build modular homes for the Irish? I would gladly take one, says Mary Jane. Uh, have a poll about the po- what the public think about these uh, new places. 14 more seats for politicians. I bet we don't need them. The one thing they won't do is go to a referendum on this because it will be shut down. That uh, They'll just go with the constitutional existing um, numbers and ratio of numbers to be represented. Mick, I would uh, be the only one listening. Would I be the only one listening about these new boundary lines? Do people really care? This mostly benefits people who are standing for election. The cost of goods... The uh, cost and lack of services, fuel costs, hospitality and more all going up again. Is Colin Burke not embarrassed today to be a Fine Gael member with these recent price rises from the Fine Gael government? So says Desi. And I'll do one more. Uh, hi Mick, TDs are elected by the people for the people, uh, therefore answerable to the people. Uh, Primetime ran a piece on the extortionate cost of energy in this country. The most expensive in Europe. Eamon Ryan was asked to participate. Wasn't available. Other ministers and junior ministers were asked to take part. Also not available. This is a disgrace. Uh, Whenever there is a serious issue, they run and hide. Why do we get more of them when they can't answer the questions? Sorry, can't come on air, but that is my view, says Sean. So uh, that's just some of the texts uh, coming in from last week. Let's go to uh, line two and to John Toomey. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? I'm good. Now, you're a Paralympian sailor and you've competed in 11 of the games since 1984. Yes, yeah, in 76, actually. Since 76. Uh, so your, yeah. first, your first one was, wow, near, nearly 50 years ago. Absolutely. I'm an old fellow, Mick. You know? <laughs> well, you're not really. But, uh, so you're, you're in Paralympic uh, sailing for quite some time uh, and represented this country. You were born in Cork. You were a hurler and competitive cyclist. And then you were injured in a cycling competition back in 1970. That's correct, yeah. I did come in by the Silver Springs there. I had an accident on the Jewish Carriageway to finish the race. And I broke my back and my neck. And another few injuries as well. So that, uh, that obviously is a life-changing thing. How long was your recovery? Were you in Dunleary or, or, or where did you I affect the recovery? I was in Dunleary for about nine months at the time, you know. And I've been a wheelchair user since, you know. Okay, and you're, you're now an ambassador for uh, SII, Spinal Injuries Ireland. I know some people involved in that uh, very worthwhile organisation. You're organising a campaign as well. Uh, tell me about A Day in My Wheels. So, A Day in My Wheels, Mick, is basically what we're doing is we're going out to the businesses in Cork, um, basically, to do an awareness campaign. And on the back of that, we're doing a bit of fundraising as well, because... Um, we're the only organisation in the country that um, supplies services to the people with a spinal injury. And 30% of our costs are financed by the state and the other 70% we have to rely on fundraising events 
and awareness events to, to raise the funds to provide the services which are much, much needed uh, for our members. Yeah, what sort of difficulties do people face? Well, I suppose, you know, the, the big difficulty is when somebody has a, a life-changing injury, a traumatic injury, where they go from being an ordinary, everyday person going about their life, working away, and all of a sudden they have a spinal injury and they end up in a wheelchair, which is a totally life-changing event. So we, we step in at that stage because, again, most people, um, first of all, there's the psychological thing for the individual. There's the family, which a lot of people forget about, are totally affected by a, a spinal injury like this. And then there's the, the whole thing of that their, their basic home setup in 99% of the cases is not accessible and they have to adapt a house to suit a wheelchair because, you know, houses in Ireland are not bought or built wheelchair friendly, you know. So there's a lot of change and there's, a, you know, there, you know, you take a guy who's, say, working, for instance, you were talking about buildings there earlier on in your program in the building industry, you know. 90% of the building industry is not suitable for somebody in a wheelchair. So they, they've got a career change. They've got a life change. They've got a lifestyle change. They've got so many different changes. And, and this needs support both, you know, from advice, from counselling, and we run a peer counselling services. So when somebody ends up with a spinal injury, we can pair them with somebody who's been down this road already and has the exact same spinal injury as they, they have. And that can you know, talk them through it in everyday language and okay. help them that, that, That's, that's bodying up in, in a sense. Exactly, and, and, yeah. and that's going to be reflected in your new campaign as well because you want uh, public representatives and uh, members of the Cork Business uh, Collective, I suppose, uh, to body up with somebody with a spinal injury to kind of spend, not a day, but uh, it's called a, a, a day in my wheels, and to see the... Uh, accessibility needs and the problems of wheelchair users and people with spinal cord injury. Exactly, and and the one way to experience it is to actually get in a chair and spend a few hours in a chair and and see exactly what the obstacles are out there. You know, ju- just even getting around the streets or getting around into buildings and things like that, and and living your life in in, in public. You know, it has many many challenges, and we're hoping that if we can get you know, the political leaders and the business leaders to come on board and experience this, that, you know, they look at their own environment and and see how they can make it more accessible for people that do use wheelchairs. Yeah, I had a leg injury a few months ago and had to spend some time uh, in a wheelchair. And while I'm not... You know, it's it obviously something that that will correct. It's obviously something you you, you get the physio to, to get back on your feet with. Um, so, some of the difficulties. I mean, even opening a door. Some some of the wheelchair accessible toilets are only accessible if you do a ninety degree turn on the spot. Uh, you know, th- these sort of simple difficulties that were evident to me uh, must be yeah. really compounded when you're spending an inordinate amount of time in uh, in in a wheelchair. It is, yeah. You know, and and it, a lot of it is that you know the, the business community have that goodwill, you know, but they're not aware. And it's getting that awareness to them is, is the big thing, you know, of, of what the issues are. Because they're, they're all willing to help, but they just don't know how or they don't have the experience themselves of, of using a chair to see what they need to do to make that bit of accessibility 
that's just needed. And, and there's that big cost in these things like, you know. Yeah, I, I, I was shocked to read that about three people a week uh, receive spinal injuries in Ireland. So the the impact, of course, devastating and, and hence the need to raise awareness here. How can people get involved in the campaign? How can a business person, for instance, sign up? Uh, how can a public representative commit to spending some time in a wheelchair on the 4th of October? Well, we, you know, they, they can contact any member of Spinal Injury in Cork or they can contact our head office in Pathway Road. And, uh, you know, we, we give them the full information on it and we supply the chairs, supply a bit of training and using the chair as well, you know, so that um, th- they can experience, you know, the, the, the using a wheelchair. And, you know, as I say, it's, it's, it's something that can happen to anybody. You know, it's it's you know three a week. You know, is 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 what the statistics tell us. You know, but you know, it's it's three people's lives turned upside down. Yeah, and the the lack of accessibility goes right across uh, from the workplace to socialising. Uh, e- even I would imagine homes have to be adapted for cooking. Yeah, homes have to be adapted for for basic living, you know, for cooking, showering, bathing, you know, access to the toilets. You'll find that most houses in, in Cork probably have the, the, the bathroom upstairs in the house. Okay. Uh, know, are you guys going to be on social media? People can connect with you for this campaign? Yes, we will be on social media. Absolutely. Um, we, we're, we're available. And we, we can get you in all the contact points there. So yeah, please, please do and, and let us advertise them for you. Uh, that, that John, thanks wonderful. very much. John, John Toomey, Paralympian sailor, competed at 11 games since 1976. You're also the current chair of the SII uh, and advocating that uh, people will spend anywhere from an hour to a day with them to experience the challenges that service users face, including but not limited to returning to work with a spinal cord injury, mental health struggles and medical expenses. John, thank you and good morning. Thanks, Mick. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And uh, our first call this hour from a motorist who was at the traffic lights of the CUH this morning. Hiya, David. Hiya. Yeah, th- thanks for ringing in. What happened? Um, I was just going across. My daughter had uh, an appointment this morning inside the CUH, and I was following on just after coming back from work. And I was parked in my van, and I spotted a lady with um, just looked like sunglasses at the time, but she was looking left and right. So when I got out of the van, there was people crossing, and the green man came and went, and she was still there. So I went up next to her, and the, st- the stick just happened to touch my leg. Um, I know already that that says in she was blind and I just said to her, um, are you okay to get across? And she says, would you mind um, helping me there? I've been here for about 15 minutes um, and I, I just don't know when I'm going to get a chance to get across, you know. And it just clicked to me then. I says, it's no hard, you're sticking us there. She says, no. She says, we get no help um, from the Blind Society of Ireland. I can't remember the name she used. But it was whatever society looked after them and she said, like, there's already been something brought up about these audio traffic lights and just it just it just shocked me like in this day and age going across to a hospital and there's no audio signaling for uh, people with uh, visual impairment like you know yeah I, david i i think i've brought it up on the program twice over the last year or so uh and i, I know i, know, I, heard, I heard it before and i sorry for interrupting oh, i'm just absolutely shocked like you know if so like there was a man there beforehand and he couldn't help her she said it to me as well that he couldn't help her because they two or three kids in his hands you know so he apologised and walked across the road. 
Yeah, I, I spoke to a lady called Margaret uh, on this last year. I'm sure I spoke to her this year as well. Uh, I think she was from Clonakilty or Skibbereen. And uh, she's, she was saying that a year ago, uh, when we had her on, the promise of change from the people who supplied the traffic lights uh, had been made. A year later, nothing had been done. And people who are blind cannot cross there because there's no sound at the lights and they, they can't figure out when to cross. Now, even with the sound, that is an extremely fast and busy junction. It is. And the other side of it as well, the curves are so high. So you have, like, it's like a raised footpath uh, along to nowhere to walk across. But that's only stretching across about a metre. And then you have a massive footpath. Like, so where she was originally standing, she would have... Uh, Without, if the cane didn't hit the footpatch, she would have tripped going onto the step, like, no doubt in my mind, like, you know? Okay, so she was there for over 15 minutes. A blind person. Well, the, Think about this, guys. A blind person put, stuck I, there. Yeah, I put, I put it in my van, and I was reversing into the spot, and I saw, you draw the way you can kind of see through the gap, you can see who was at the crossing. Mm-hmm. There was five or six people there, and then she was just there. I reversed the van, got out, she was still just there. Another set of people gone. And then when I approached her, as I said, the cane kind of brushed my leg. I was going to stay at her anyway, but it just happened at the same time. So um, I brought her across, like, and she was just telling me on the way over. She, was, she wasn't she was saying to be smart or, you know, to be bitchy or anything. She was saying it disgusted, like, absolutely yeah. disgusted, like, you know. It's bad enough being blind. Never mind trying to get across the bloody road, like, you know. Yeah, well, happy to, happy to highlight it again. I wonder who we can get on to to find out is anything going to change well, I, there. I, I reported to the council and look, this is no disrespect to him, but when I when I said it to him and I explained it and I was not irate on the phone, but you could hear that I was affected by it. Your man's voice, it was as monotone as it comes, like, you know. I said, yeah, we passed it on. I said, could you give me a number so I could follow up myself? I can give you a reference number. Can you take it down? I said, I have an email. All right. Yeah. I'm just there like, what? Like, what are we paying for? Okay, so who who is responsible here? Is 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 it the local authority or is it the uh, technology people that put the lights in for them? Whoever whoever put that light up there didn't put an audio signal in, and like with it being never mind a hospital there, a main road. Jesus Christ, like you know. Well, like you're you're going to have a percentage of visitors to the hospital who are there for sight impairment reasons or are essentially blind. Uh, that's that's where or, they're going or, to be. Or, 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 or just, other disabilities that they need an audio signal to concentrate yeah. them. Like it, it, it doesn't have to be visually impaired. Like you know, in this day and age, nearly everything, everything on every crossing should have an audio signal. I can't see why they're installing them without them. Yeah, and well, this is highlighted for the last two years. What is going on, like? Well, David, it is in for the want of this program trying to highlight it. We've we've been trying now. This yeah. is our third attempt in in just over a year. So let let's see where we go with it this time. But you you got short you, you 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 got short shrift anyway from the. Uh, from the phone call you I made. Look, with a passionate call going into an establishment like that, you'll be thinking you'll be getting some sort of decent response or some human who's saying, this isn't right, like, let's do something about this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel I got that. I'm not trying to single anyone out inside there because he is only working at a switchboard or wherever he's working at. But at the same time, if he knows this has been highlighted, someone has to take the initiative and get a start, like, you know? Yeah. Well, as you so know... as take the initiative? As long as they're covered for doing their job, oh yeah, take a reference number, yeah, I'll pass yeah, it on, I'm covered. That's all, good, that's, that's all good and well, but we all these days have someone with some sort of disability associated to our family. So like, if we're not going to look after other people, let's start looking after our own. Or So everyone has a family member with something going on, so this is an issue that needs to be sorted. Like, it's just, there's many other ones, but this, like, Jesus, like, this is bare basic. 
Nathan. All right, David. It's obviously affected you. Your heart's in the right place. Uh, do you want to give your daughter a mention? Yeah, Brianna, she's inside there. Um, she, she, she's getting blood done at the moment. And she doesn't like needles, so they have to sedate her. So it's going to oh. be long all day. Long all day. Yeah. Well, well, well done for help, helping the blind lady. And uh, we'll, we'll follow it with interest. Not sure if anything is going to be done. Uh, but it certainly is uh, not for the want of us trying. Yeah. Do you mind if I just add one more point? What sure. conversation would we be having if the lady walked across the road and just got sick of waiting and got a belt of a car? Well, that's what, what I. Would we be saying then, like? That's where our conversation led to with Margaret. It's, it's going to take a serious injury or a death before yeah, somebody puts whoever, the proper equipment in yeah. place. And then whoever witnesses then is scared for life, then, like, you know, on top of it, instead of just putting in some bloody traffic lights with uh, audio warnings on them, like. Yeah, you're very, very good to call in, David. Thanks a million to you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye bye. Ashling Kane is in line, too. Hi, Ashling. Hello. Good Hi. morning. Hi, good morning. Hi. Uh, now, you, you have less than 5% vision and you use a guide dog. I do, yeah. Okay, this is, this is genetic? I did, yeah, since birth, but it's only in the last um, 8 to 10 years that the majority of the sight that I did have has gone. And, and there's no way back for it? Nothing you can do? No, no. So this is me now and um, my dog, Kelly, is my new wife. Tell me, tell me about Kelly. How did you come to get her? Um, I found when I was using the white cane um, that my mobility was very slow going around because even though as good as the white cane stick is, when you come across obstacles like a ladder or a beam um, or potholes of stuff, the stick is getting stuck and you have to try to figure out, okay, what's this I'm after hitting? Is it a beam, a ladder or what? where the dog kind of just brings you around these obstacles and it's a faster kind of pace. So it took a while because um, there was an element of embarrassment. I just felt like, oh, well, if people see me with the dog and they'll think I'm an easy target, but I just said from my own safety point of view, I had to. So um, I applied and she came into my life there um, three years ago. And it's been a positive experience? Um, most of it, yes, but there is still some negativity and gaining access into certain premises and uh, public transport can be a nightmare. Um, oh, taxis are my main problem at the moment. So um, if I'm going to any hospital appointments now or anything like that, if I can't get to them on the bus, and um, if I have to get a taxi, I prefer to leave the dog at home because I missed nine times out of ten with sorry, we're not taking the dog. Uh, so they, they won't they won't take a dog that's that's assisting a sight impaired person. No, and I've been met with different um, excuses um, when questioned. Then, like what hair, hair shedding or something like that. Oh, yes, that they'd have to go and get the car cleaned after the dog. Not that my dog is dirty, just no matter what dog would get into the car. And then the newest thing now is that um, a lot of drivers are getting letters from their GP station that they're allergic to dogs. Ah, uh, okay. So, so um, on, on, on public transport, there's no problem, but you, then you have to get a bus to your hospital appointment. Yeah. 
Yeah, and especially now, like out in the CUH, there now as well with that um, crossing, I I can't use that unaided now, even with the dog because of the lights not working. So I have to have a sighted person with me, and there's um, a number of traffic lights in in and around the city as well that need to be sorted out. And how do you find the the general public when when you're standing there longer than you should be? Do people notice? Do people offer to help? Um, most of the time they would. Um, a lot of people would come up and they would um, ask, do I need assistance? But then you sometimes you get people and they're not quite sure what they're going to do. And sometimes they might just grab your arm and before you know it, you're across the road, which is the wrong thing to kind of do because that can be very... Um, this and there, um, I might know where they've left me at the other side of the road, you know, where for if I'm, they kind of ask me first before they kind of take me. So I would advise if anybody does see anyone standing at traffic lights, like just ask first because um, it can be frightening if you're just kind of grabbed and somebody helping you that way. Okay, now you 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 were cited for your young life. Uh, you, it's it's a genetic condition, so it was always going to happen that your sight would deteriorate. Uh, it's done so radically and rapidly over the last ten years. You're now forty two. Yeah. How how has it been as the sight faded? Uh, you seem to me like a person who gets on with things. Is that something you um, had to instill into yourself? Well, I think since I have uh, my daughter's eight. So my kind of thing is like I could have just curled up in bed and said like, oh, poor me and all of this type of thing. But life kind of goes on and I, my daughter's there and I have to kind of get her out to school and I have to be there for her and get things done. So she kind of drives me on, you know, um, to kind of get out and about. And like even when I got the dogs first, there and um, my partner used to say to ring me up and he used to say oh where are you now because I'm so independent now just getting out and about and doing things Okay and the dog's been a great help in, in that sense anyway Yeah Okay so you have a young daughter that drives you on um, how many traffic lights in the city centre do you think should have and don't have the audio signals? There's one there um, um, there by the top of Kennedy Street um, I just there on Patrick Street. Those lights there have nothing at all, no sound whatsoever. Um, I was there for ages waiting one day, and there was a man actually. Um, I only went because he was going, and he asked me then when we got across the road. He says, "Um, I thought the dog would have went when the green light came up," and I said, "No, I said she's not trained to go unless I tell her to go." So, and I said, so the dog has to be prompted by you, so you could be standing there for quite a while. Yeah, because um, I have to rely on the audible before I can tell, before I can give the dog the instruction to go. And if that audible isn't there, then you're you're lost, really. Yeah, yeah, and there's the top of Patrick Street as well. They can be a bit um, finicky, and then there was ones on Shandon Street. Yeah, we've we've got a very good initiative, which uh, I'm sure you've heard. Um, John Toomey talking to me about about a day in my wheels set to raise, we're trying to raise uh, €100,000 in support of 2,300 people living with spinal cord injury. But there are other cohorts of the public, yourself included. Uh, and that uh, that lady at the traffic lights at the, uh, the CUH this morning 
uh, yeah. that, you know, that also need those little technological things that make your life so much easier. Yeah, because I've been just an example there now just before I came on air with you. Um, I was going in here to my local super value and the two pints of access getting in here. Um, there is a tape up, so both pints um, getting in was kind of, um, I couldn't get in. So I had to try to figure out, like, obviously the dog stopped because there's a tape. So, well, I don't know, it's just, and then I just had to wait for somebody to come and give me the assistance in. Okay, and I'm... I'm t- I'm just wondering, and pardon me if I'm being intrusive, uh, what's it like shopping when you can't see? Um, well, I have a personal assistant there. She can kind of come once a week. So when, like, when I kind of need personal stuff, like I can kind of go in with her, uh, That which took a kind of a while to get used to kind of bringing somebody else with me, especially when it's for personal kind of clothes, you know. Mm. But like when it's kind of just general shopping then, it is hard because like when I would go in and kind of go shopping, everything on the shelf just looks like colours to me. Like I might see the yellow box or the red the red bottle, but I wouldn't know what they were. So like um, it's a bit it can be a bit down, especially around Christmas time when you're going in and you can't see what's on the shelves and stuff, and you kind of just have to go in and get assistance. Well, um, uh, Ashling, I, I salute your bravery. You're down to less than 5% vision now. Uh, yeah. y- using the guide dog, that guide dog not trained to go across on the green man, uh, but um, but would take your prompt to go, even if it was dangerous. Would I be right? Um, you know, sometimes she might, but when I, when I got her first, when I came out of the lift, we were, I knew you would have to go right to um, to get down to a till but I misjudged where the top of the stairs was and even though I kept telling the dog to go forward because I thought I was on a flat level to go to a counter for some reason she knew that day not to go forward and it was just as well that she ignored my prompts that day mm-hmm. because if she didn't I was gone down the flight of stairs yeah. okay Ashley, I, I feel for you in your condition. I'm glad you have a companion uh, guide dog, um, but thank you very much for highlighting the fact that it's not just the traffic lights of the COH that need those audio signals fixed uh, or put back. I, I don't think they even exist there anymore, if I remember the, the last conversation correctly, that they have to be reinstalled there. But I think it's uh, it's becoming ever more important now to get that done. It just feels like I just feel, um, to be honest with you, that it, we're fighting a losing battle. We've got onto the city hall and this person, that person, there's been letters, there's been reference numbers, there's been everything and um, there's no action being taken. Yep. All right, Ashling, thank you very much. We'll move on. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thanks, Bye. cheers. Now, James Joy is the Labour Party Cork City Northwest local area representative and did get in touch, uh, fair play to him, uh, to the programme by text and he joins me now on line one. James, good morning. Morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, on the audio signals on traffic lights, where are we? Yeah, so it's actually kind of a coincidence that you're talking about this morning, because uh, only last week a colleague of mine uh, who has visual impairment uh, was telling me about the traffic lights up around Blackpool. So just by Dino's there, uh, just outside, the, just across from the shopping centre. Um, I happened to be in Blackpool over the weekend. There's a launch of the Titans uh, group uh, in the Blackpool Community Centre. So I said while I was there, I'd go for a walk around and just take a look and a listen. Um, the four lights there um, on that junction 
They all seem to be working a little bit, but you have to be right up next to them to hear anything. And if there's any traffic, I, the only time that they're actually useful when there's traffic, um, you can't hear a single thing. And yeah, so I've, I've, I've made the uh, report to the roads of transportation section of the council. Um, no word on when or whether it will be fixed uh, or anything like that. And that's just one example. You've heard several others today from... Uh, yeah, that's a, who, another busy junction there, the, the bottom of Popham's Road by Dino's yeah. uh, drive-through and you go across the crossroads. It's, 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 the main, easily, it's the main road to Limerick. Yeah, and you could easily get impatient on it because I was just trying to to just go and stand next to each one of the lights and take a recording of it and then kind of compare it to a light that I knew was working so I could tell how much, you know, was it really, really quiet or was was there any difference or what? So they're kind of working or they're quiet. Just to get around to those four junctions because you'd be standing there waiting a good while to get across and if you had visual impairment and couldn't hear, couldn't hear the light, like it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous situation. Yeah, now I know it's quite close to residential areas. Is that perhaps why they might have been turned down? But there's no point having them if you can't hear them over traffic. Well, they're nearish to residential areas, but there's no there's no front door or anywhere near. There's no, there's no residence really where you'd hear anywhere anywhere any of the lights particularly close. Um, and the other thing is, like, it doesn't take much for us, for the city, for the council to put things into place that give people agency, that give people independence. Like, without, without these things, without these simple things, someone with visual impairment or with a similar disability is trapped in their home, you know? That, that, that's, that's, that's wrong, you know? Um, I think we're, we're at the point where we can easily uh, put things into place where someone can leave their house, get to work, do their bit of shopping, and not require, you know, to be, to be living in an institution or require home help uh, 24-7. Um, or require the help of the public to simply cross the road. OK, James, thanks very yeah. much. So we've identified certain lights on Patrick Street, the CUH, a uh, very busy junction, and at the uh, end of Popham's Road, Dino's area there, across to the uh, Blackpool Shopping Centre, as possible problem areas. They might be working, but if they are, they're probably too low to be heard over the, uh, the busy traffic. Uh, you, you might let us know if Councillor John Marr comes back to you, uh, and if there's any word on whether the, uh, the Blackpool one, at least, will be addressed. Thanks very much for okay. having me on, uh, Mick. Thanks, James. Cheers. Bye-bye. James Joy, Labour Party, Cork City, Northwest Local Area Representative. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Just turned 11.30. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. And uh, the Electoral Commission, as we mentioned last week, has added an uh, additional 14 seats to the Doyle, uh, with two of those uh, coming to Cork, or the proposal is to have two more in Cork anyway. In total, the 14 UTDs could cost the state as much as 2.3 million. I think we had it pegged about 3 million as well as the upper end uh, per year in salary and allowances. And we put a poll up over the weekend uh, on our social media. Do you think we need the extra TDs? And yes, said 13.7% of you. And uh, no, said 86.3% of you. And some of the related comments, if the population has increased, then the first priority should be providing services, uh, retaining nurses, GPs, uh, guardie, firefighters, teachers, etc., with better pay and conditions, uh, schools and housing. Uh, extensive, uh, expensive surplus TDs is a luxury. We should be prioritising society's needs. It's one MP to every 200,000 in Britain. The additional new seat in Cork South Central will ensure that Coveney, Martin and McGrath keep their seats. 
I believe Sinn Féin, uh, Sinn Féin, who topped the poll in the last election, will field two candidates. Uh, another texter says, it's getting rid of them we need to be doing. It's the Constitution that uh, we need a TD for every twenty to 30,000 people. Given the population increase, it's a necessary move and a democratic one. If you don't like the current crop of TDs, then vote them out at the next general election. I'd be for reducing TD's salary. Salaries, that would make it uh, less attractive to, to run for office, I suppose. 100% yes, we need more TDs to represent local constituencies, but TDs unfortunately take this for granted and are only ever seen by the vast majority during election time and never heard of again. Do we really need additional freeloaders in the Doyle, says another texter? The Constitution needs to be amended to remove this requirement for additional TDs. As the population increases, we do not need them. But how about more houses, more teachers, more medics and even more guardians? That's much more important. TD should be judged on performance, and when they're not up to the job, as the majority aren't, they should be booted out of politics for good. The Senate should also be scrapped. It's only a talking shop for washed-up politicians who don't even turn up most of the time anyway. There should be a board appointed to review all waste in politics, and they should all be held accountable. They've had a free ride up to now with unvouched expenses, subsidised food, and a bar they don't even have to pay for. And free parking in the Doyle as well, and they're trying to tax us, uh, those of us that have free parking. A dose of reality is badly needed for these people and they might start to appreciate what the average person must put up with uh, living and working in Ireland. And one final text just said it would be cheaper to change the constitution than pay another 14 self-serving TDs that ignore the electorate. Those are your comments and that is uh, your voting. Uh, 86.3% no, we don't need the extra TDs and 13.7% of you saying that we do. Let's go to Deirdre Reardon on uh, line one. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, apologies for not getting to you on Friday, but even if I no did, if, even if I yeah. did, we probably would have had 30 seconds. And this story uh, and, and this situation needs a little bit more time uh, to Thank explain. You. you you have been on with Neil recently about your son, Peter. Now, Peter's, yes. Peter's living in Maui, uh, yes. in, in Hawaii, and as a former expose host on Virgin Media TV. So in a sense, yes. he's a bit of a colleague. Yes. Okay, what happened? What happened? So the wildfires in Maui um, affected him. Um, So he lives in Lahaina. Um, His business is in Lahaina. So his house and car um, were just reduced to dust. His children's mother's home. um, So the children spend 50% of the time with him, 50% with their their mum. So her house reduced to ash. Her mother's house, the children's grandmother, their house reduced to ash. So basically, uh, they have nothing, nothing. Um, So Peter had been working very closely with the local community leaders, helping the local people um, in Hawaii, because I suppose they're the worst affected, really. Um, You know, a lot of the residents would be American expats, American or European expats who would have friends, family, you know, who can support them or who they can reach out to. But Peter just felt the local community have nobody. You know, there there are generational families living there um, who have literally lost everything. And so um, I just came up with this idea that I'd love to send um, some stuff out to them um, to help him, to help them. So I went on air with Mick and he very kindly put it out on air and then Project 
I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think it's espoir. It's the Haitian word for hope. Um, yes, it's ESPWA. I would imagine it's yes, espoir. Yeah, I think it's espoir is how it's pronounced. So they very kindly um, offered to facilitate um, a 40-foot container uh, to go out to uh, Maui with supplies. Um, so that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Um I didn't really have a 40-foot container in mind when I was thinking, you know, of uh, sending stuff out to them. I nearly got sick. And uh, what what sort of stuff do they need? Uh, if, if everything's gone, I guess everything is gone. Exactly. So when, when I say everything, they need everything. Um, we've had quite a lot of clothes, male, female, children's clothes. And may I just say before I go any further... A huge heartfelt thanks to everybody that has donated so far. The response has been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we're just blown away by people's generosity. And I was on to Peter over the weekend and he said, please, please thank everybody for me. It's just been amazing. Um, So... The clothing for the adults is not a priority right now because we've had we've had a lot of that. If you want to donate that, by all means, do. Um, if you want to clear your house out, that's absolutely fine. The only thing I would say is please be mindful that if the stuff that you're clearing out is only fit for the bin... It's not fit for this purpose, you know. Okay. Just to kind of be mindful. That makes um, sense. You, you can't you can't use this as a, as a replacement exactly, for the for the exactly. dump. No, and and I have to say we've had none of that. None of that. The stuff that we've been provided with has been superb. It's been top class. Nobody nobody has has um, used this as a dumping ground because we had been, you know, John O'Connell Farm Project. That's what I had said. Be very careful, you know, because sometimes people kind of see this as, oh, I clear out my house. So, you know, I've no problem with people clearing out their houses. That's absolutely fine. But just as I say, just be mindful, you know, that you're, you're passing this stuff on to, you know, people who have nothing. Would you like to receive stuff that was only fit for the rent? You probably wouldn't. No. You know. So, so um, some of the items you are still looking for are children's clothes, um, yes, books yes. and games. Now, the one that surprised me was water, because water is also needed if people have a slab or a pallet of water. That would seem to me to be very cost prohibitive to, to ship. But I suppose the 40-foot container will be going anyway, and, and, and water can be a part of it. Yes, yes, because the water is contaminated, Mick. Um, so they can't drink the water from their taps. Um, so we were just trying to send, you know, some water out as well for however long, you know, it will last for them. The thing is, like, there's no item too big to go into the 40 foot. That's the beauty of it, I suppose, you know. It's 40 foot in length, it's 8 foot wide by 9 foot high. And just, I suppose, to kind of put it into perspective, the the scale of this operation is that John told my husband on Friday that it's going to take 100 transit vans to fill um, to fill the container. So, like, we are very much appealing to people. Um, other things that we would be looking for would be things like buggies, you know, children's buggies, but again, only if they are in, like, really, really good condition. The same with um, travel cots or baby cots. Um 
any kind of baby products, um, sleeping bags, uh, tents. We've had quite a few tents, um, inflatable mattresses, um, garden furniture, as in, you know, um, folding chairs, folding tables, because what they're doing is they're doing a lot of cookouts. So they're cooking en masse for people, you know, doing these huge cookouts. And again, people need somewhere, you know, to sit and to eat from. Um, torches, um, bicycles, funnily enough, because a lot of cars were lost in the fires. So mm. bicycles. You, 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 you would imagine that the the west coast of the of the USA, Hawaii, being an uh, an American state, would would be offering mm. would be offering support, and that it wouldn't have to come from as far away as Ireland, wouldn't you? Well, here's the thing: um, there was a huge donation made um, by some companies in uh, California, and Peter was desperately trying to source an aircraft to um, to bring them over. Yeah, because, because I mean, no s- s- some of the biggest names in the world are headquartered. Maybe they are for tax reasons in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, but they're headquartered in Silicon Valley and, and in California itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they just couldn't. I mean, he was sending out uh, shout-outs to, like, Jeff Bezos, to Oprah, Matthew McConaughey, you know, just begging and pleading. You know, all of this stuff is here. Can you please, please try and sort a plane um, just to get this stuff out? Um, I suppose the whole thing really, you know, Peter sees we're an island nation, they're an island yes. nation, you know. And and are, are they being made aware of the generosity of the people of Cork as, as best Peter can? Absolutely. And, and the thing is, you know, the native Hawaiian people are very suspicious um, of white people, for want of a better word. Um, they're very suspicious of tourists because... Their land, I suppose the land belongs to them. You know, it, it was um, inhabited by expats, a lot of them, a lot of tourists coming in, you know, not being very respectful for, to them because Maui is very much a two-tier society. Yes, you have incredibly wealthy people there, but you also have terrible poverty. And Pat and I have been out there, we've been out with Peter twice now, and... Um, there's terrible poverty there. That's not something you would imagine about Hawaii. You would imagine no, from a distance no. that it's a, it's a particularly affluent place. It, it, it is in certain sections, but um, certainly like the local people are not the people occupying the top positions out there. They are the people doing the, 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 the menial tasks. They are the people in the service industry. They are the homeless people. You know, so these people would have been really badly off before this and now they just literally have absolutely nothing. You know, but Peter has, um, as I say, worked very closely with the community leaders and um, he said, you know, one of the great things to come out of this, he said, is that they finally realised that not all white people are the same, Mum, you know, and they are so delighted and now I'm getting on base with them. You know, so they are absolutely blown away um, that we are doing something like this for them. They are just, they're thrilled, absolutely thrilled. Right. Now, if, if you um, want to do something special, you can get in touch with us here on the programme at 0818 104 we can, we can either get uh, you in directly in touch with Deirdre and give you a, an honourable mention, shall we say. Otherwise, there are drop-off points. Bookstation mm-hmm. in Douglas Shopping Centre, Bookstation in Blackpool uh, Centre and uh, Douglas Post Office, uh, 
Douglas Post Office at Douglas Community Centre. Uh, and that's from, uh, please keep it to the morning so they can get, a, get about their business. At 10am to 1pm Monday to Friday, you're still looking for children's clothes, books and games. Water is also needed. If you have a slab or a pallet of water, towels and toiletries would, would also be great. And they really, really are going to people who are destitute, who have lost everything in the wildfires of Maui. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we are really adamant uh, to get that message across. This is not going out to people, you know, that are going to be rebuilding their multi-million dollar homes. This is not what this is for. This is for the ordinary, you know, Hawaiian people who have nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, now, also just to mention, Mick, we will collect from anywhere. My husband or myself, you know, my sister, my family, we will collect anything from anywhere if you just let us know please don't let that stop you um donating if if you have no way of getting it to us um you know just contact us and we will be more than happy to go and collect um another thing sorry is cutlery you know utensils um plastic you know like picnic bowls and plates yeah because they're doing cookouts and they they have the weather to be able to cook outside exactly all right dear Uh, they can get in touch with us at the programme. We'll put them in touch with you. Once again, yeah. Bookstation and Douglas Shopping Centre, Bookstation in Blackpool, uh, and the Douglas Post Office at Douglas Community Centre from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock, Monday to Friday. And we'll keep in touch with you to see how the appeal is going. Uh, maybe we'll even track the container and maybe get uh, maybe get Peter on the air where, when the stuff arrives and is being uh, distributed to those in need. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, and again, a huge thank you to everybody. We are... So incredibly grateful. We couldn't be doing this without you. We couldn't be doing this without the people of Cork. You have been astounding, absolutely astounding. Well, we couldn't have got to all of that now on Friday, so I'm glad we waited to speak to you until today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Deirdre. Thank you so much. Thank you very Thanks much. Thank Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Uh, that was Deirdre O'Reardon, who was on with Neil recently about her son Peter, who worked with uh, Virgin Media TV, now living in Maui. Former expose host had his home and his car totally burned to the ground. Uh, and uh, from a place of good heart, um, a GoFundMe was started to help him and the staff of his business. And he was looking further at those who were destitute. So please, if you can help in that appeal, please do. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104 106. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. On Hawaii, please mention the Friary Bar, who on Saturday held a very successful fundraiser for Hawaii, as they've done for many other good causes, I believe. Thanks should go to the owner, Mike Darcy, there, and all the staff, and I believe they raised almost or just over, in or around, anyway, €2,000. So well done to Mike Darcy and all the staff of the Friary Bar for your continuing charitable efforts. Uh, let's go to our, our final caller of the day, Mike Noonan. Good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. This is a somewhat poignant phone call because you're speaking in place of your friend. <laughs> yes, I am. And uh, your friend is weak and, and cannot speak, but hopes for one last bike ride. Yes. Can you, can you tell us about your friend? What's so, happening? Steve, so, so Steve Hicks, is, um, he, he, he's a person who has done an awful lot of voluntary work for the Middleton Hub. Uh, I think people are pretty familiar now with the Middleton Hub. It's a uh-huh. mental health um, service uh, that that deals a lot with suicide and su- and living with suicide, suicide support. So um, Steve, 
unfortunately, uh, some time ago, I was diagnosed with throat cancer. And last year, when the Middleton Hub did the 32-day, 32-county trip around Ireland uh, to promote the, both the Middleton Hub... And I, rem- I remember promoting it on air. Yes. Uh, well, Steve actually came on the 32 days. He drove the, a van... He drove a van for the 32 days and he had, and he brought his dog because he is the main carer of the dog. So he spent the most of his life on the 32 days living in the van, um, but did tremendous work and did tremendous work then during the reconstruction of the Middleton Hub and all the work that was done over the year. Now, at even on, at that time during the 32-day uh, trip, Steve's throat cancer was, was very effective uh, and had a, a big impact on his life. So he couldn't eat. He could only um, drink uh, liquids, no solid foods, for the 32 days. So he made all, all his own food. Um, but right now, uh, a year later, after all the work that he has done, uh, his cancer has progressed. Um, he's now in palliative care in, uh, in the Cove Community um, Hospital. So he has... Uh, more or less almost lost his voice now. He's fed through a tube uh, on a constant basis. Um, but he's determined to have one last ride out on a motorbike. Now, he's not yes. strong enough to ride his own motorcycle because he doesn't have the strength for a heavy bike. But he's been given uh, the loan of uh, what's charitably called a chicken chaser, um, a Honda 50. <laughs> yes. So, so Bunny O'Riordan, who was, who was the founder of the Middleton Hub, uh, Took uh, Steve was obviously uh, he, he he was a bike fanatic himself, uh, big bikes. But right now he doesn't have the strength, uh, he doesn't have uh, the energy to ride big bikes. So Bunny gave him a Honda Fifty. So the Honda Fifty is light, is no gears. Steve can sit on it and turn the throttle, and he is determined. Um, he's determined now to have one last. Rider. Fabulous. Uh, so anyone in the biker community is welcome, really, but mostly friends and acquaintances to join Steve on this last ride out. Cove Community Hospital will be the meeting place at 12 noon. Yeah. That's P24AD85 in the, in the postcode. Yeah. But you, you can Google that anyway. They're going to ride on to Top Oil Service Station at Cove Cross uh, for a pit stop and a, uh, and a coffee and on to Middleton Hub for free coffee and cake. He must be looking forward to it, although it's going to be a ride tinged with sadness. It, it, it will be a ride tinged with sadness. However... Steve is such a positive person, somebody in his condition who wants to do this last thing and he wants to do it for the Middleton Hub. He, he's, he's, he's really passionate about the work that the Middleton Hub is doing. And yes, he wants to have a last ride out. So we're really looking forward to, to supporters, to bikers, to anybody uh, who sees the goodness in, in, in what Steve is trying to do to join us and it will it should be a fun day and i've no doubt that steve regardless of his condition will will smile from end to end all right and i'm going to give that another big mention on friday i'll stick it in the diary so that we can uh, get as many people as possible to attend but mike th- thanks for standing in on behalf of your friend uh, and i want to play out with some thank you mike uh, i want to play out with some music of somebody who's uh, who's passed away from cancer over the weekend. My thanks to the show's producers, Seamus Whelan, Claire O'Connor, and for the very uh, welcome assistance and all the paper she brought me in and out, and that is uh, to leave. But we're going to play this one. One of the best lines in rock and roll, but there's booze in the blender, and soon it will render that frozen concoction that helps me. Hang on, rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) 
Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 12 midday on the Neil Prenderville Show and uh, a mention for Lyra from Bandon, a Cork artist I neglected to mention who played uh, at the Electric Picnic as well. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.